Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. And sometimes the bottom 100 as well. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. Hello, Darren. And this week we have a very special guest. We have Kean joining us from the Selected Podcast and from the Sissy This Podcast, which is the RuPaul Drag Race Podcast. Yes, Sissy That Pod. Sissy, oh, sorry. That's okay. Um, yeah, and it's a RuPaul's Drag Race Reaction Podcast. So we watch an episode of Drag Race that's just come out. And then we get a special guest on to discuss it. And it's with the Headstuff Podcast Network, so you can find it. Pretty great. And I think some yeah. of your guests have included people like Jen Gannon, who's, yeah. who was on with us as well, actually. So uh, it's, you know, Jen, Jen's coming on for, I think, next season. She's oh, supposed cool. to be on, yeah. Cool. Um, that's great. And the reason why we invited Kean on is because Kean very kindly, listeners will remember him from our Twin Peaks podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That act of insanity that we undertook around this time last year. There was so much cherry pie. <laughs> that's that was <laughs> takeaway from the whole thing. So a lot of people remember. Except for Darren, who didn't, who didn't have a bite. <laughs> of cherry. But it's a diuretic and we were doing an 18-hour podcast. I figured that it was... I knew what I was doing. <laughs> but uh, never How did said... toilet breaks work during that, by the way? One of us stayed on by themselves. Um, we we kind of like tag in and hope the other person came back. Um, was yeah. a basic plan. Moment of suspense when Andrew would disappear and I'd be like, he's not coming back, is he? Um, no, Andrew. Darren was... stayed there the entire time. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, Kean uh, was, was Changed great. Changed Darren. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew, for that mental image. Um, no, Kean, Kean was, was great. He came on and talked to us about the music mm-hmm. of Twin Peaks. And we thought that we'd actually like to have a, another kind of conversation with Kean, maybe in a bit less an intense sort of setting, sure. maybe kind of on grounds. Because you weren't, you hadn't watched Twin Peaks, but you kind of watched bits and pieces of it and kind of discussed the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. We thought maybe we'd meet you on kind of your terms. So we asked you, what would you really want to talk about? <laughs> like, what movie gets you really excited? What are you very passionate to kind of talk about? And you came back and you asked one very important question. That question was... Can we watch I Know Who Killed Me by Lindsay Lohan? <laughs> but that was that was the second question. Okay, sorry. The first question was, are there any Hillary Duff movies oh, yes. um, on either the top 250 or the bottom 100? Because <laughs> this is interesting, because you have been doing kind of a rewatch hmm. of, let's start with Hillary Duff and then go into Lindsay Lohan. Yeah, so we all started, a few of my friends around Christmas time, we just started talking about those Hillary Duff movies we watched when we were teenagers even like early teenagers and then i said in a classic way that i might do be like why don't we all meet up once a month and watch a hillary duff movie and my friend said yes so the next question people ask me when i say that is are there 12 hillary duff movies and we had to really sort kind of, of wondering myself. <laughs> so we had the classics we had like Lindsay, the lizzie mcguire movie a yeah. cinderella story um raise your voice romance and cigarettes was that one or what's no. it called um you know the one with uh christopher walken hairspray and- no, did she no, appear no, as a sporting no. role hairspray or i'm thinking of amanda no. okay i'm thinking of amanda Bynes probably oh it could Sorry. be yeah there's um, no Christopher Walken. We th- that definitely would have got chosen <laughs> if there was a Christopher Walken option like, on the if you list. Had a list there. So well, then we were what pushed. Movie am I thinking of? We were pushed then to try delve into the real sort of dregs of her career. We watched um, the Haunting of Sharon Tate, which was out last year. Yeah. Um, which now that I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, <laughs> they're kind of like a two yeah. two halves of the same coin, really. Um, the, the Haunting of Sharon Tate is a remarkable monument, and kind of the I suspect the only reason that we haven't covered it is because not enough people have seen it to vote it on the bottom one hundred. Yeah. it's currently ranked two out of ten on IMDb okay. uh, with two thousand five hundred votes. It's from the same director as the murder of Nicole Brown Simpson, starring Mina Savara. Oh wow! Um, yeah, he's got a little franchise. Wow. I like he's got a niche. Yeah, how do how do how do you get people? I suppose it's Mina Suvari, but the 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 that this person has as 
as their modus operandi that they're going to do these uh, these particular type of movies and and, and that people are going to agree to do them with him. Well, was if I remember correctly, was Nick Stahl also in The Haunting of Sharon Tate, or oh. is he in The Murder of Nicole Brown Simpson? What does he look like? I'm not sure. He's the guy. He's the John Connor who was between Edward Furlong and uh, Christian Bale. Okay, I can't picture. Um, (laughs) He might have been the friend, though. The I can't remember the name of Sharon Tate's friend. The the guy who she used to be married to or date. He was in the movie. Whoever that real life person is. Oh, the hairdresser. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. I think that was sort of the main male character in in the movie, other than the the murderer. So Tex. Somehow, <laughs> yes, text. Um, he's the devil, and he's here to do the devil's work. And I, I thought it was such a stark comparison watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood versus The Haunting of Sharon Tate, because obviously, Once Upon a Ho- Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, there's just so much gone into making it feel like it's that era. Everything down to the advertisement and the music, and then you watch The Haunting of Sharon Tate, and you're like, oh, that's a piece of IKEA furniture she's sitting on. <laughs> All the budget went on Hilary Duff. Yeah. <laughs> But she's the executive producer and she casts herself as Sharon Tate, which is just pure ego. Um, but, and this is kind of interesting. Oh, yes. Because we, we kind of, we suggested, you suggested a Hillary Duff movie. There was no Hillary Duff movie no. on, the, on the bottom 100, so, surprisingly. So we asked... Name the was, next young artist. <laughs> yeah. We said, well, what, what else? What else is kind of interesting? And you mentioned that you also are doing a rewatch of Lindsay Lohan. Sure. So we watched our 12 last year. We watched one a month. We had the Duffskers in January where <laughs> we gave awards to the movies that won. So I suppose background... After we watch the movie, we give the movie score in multiple categories. Like, I have the categories here if you oh, want to Oh, yes, know. go for it. So, uh, add a 10 for each of us on the plot, okay. the score, the costume design, the character development, cinematography, acting performance, enjoyability, LPH, which is lols per hour, uh-huh. <laughs> how feminist it is, and then how much Hilary Duff content there was. Okay, and, and how much Hilary Duff content is rated in quantity or in quality? Oh, pure quantity. Pure quantity, yeah. sheer mass of So Hillary a Duff. movie like Beauty and the Briefcase, a straight-to-TV Disney movie, was like, you know, 10 out of 10. Because she was in every scene. <laughs> she was in every scene, yeah. Um, but th- then afterwards, kind of... And then, went sorry, and, yeah, oh. then, sorry, the three of us, we all put two names into a hat of who we wanted oh. to do for 2020, and um, we could overlap, and... By that I mean, like, I put in Lindsay Lohan and Jennifer Lopez. My friend put in Lindsay Lohan twice. And my other friend put in Sandra Bullock twice. So it was stacked in Lindsay's favour. And Lindsay won for 2020. So we're two, we're two months in. And, the first, oh. and uh, January was I Know Who Kills Me. And I was going to ask, like, in terms of watching kind of the Lindsay Lohan filmography, yeah. right? So when you're doing 12 months and you're planning this out, do you... You negotiate what films you're going to put in of the mm. 12, right? Yes. But do you arrange them by any sort of criteria? Do you start chronologically? Or are you going to watch Lindsay Lohan sort of like from 2007 to the present day? Or are you going to jump around a bit? Are you going we to mix jump in? around. It's mostly got to do with logistically. I mean, we kind of make a list of who we want to watch and we'll all host and whoever cooked dinner. So if they're going up to mine and say, like, I have this on DVD, we'll watch that one. You know, and then if it's one that none of us have, we'll find, find some source like YouTube or something to watch it on. So yeah, there isn't any particular rhyme or reason as to which month we do which movie except this year we are doing Mean Girls on October 3rd because that's that's compulsory <laughs> and I was, I was gonna ask like in terms of so obviously the inference here is that like the Lindsay sorry the Lindsay Lohan movie that everybody has access to is I Know Who Killed Me because <laughs> it was the one you started with it was the one that was easiest to hand. I yeah, just did you remember have a copy of it do you have a DVD copy of this <laughs> no no I had to delve into the internet to find it but I just remember seeing it out at the time and thinking 
oh that's so that's gonna be so bad i really wanted to see it so that's where we started off and it is it is worth talking about like just in terms of like Lindsay lohan's kind of career trajectory Mm. and stuff like that because i know who killed me is the only Lindsay lohan movie on the bottom 100 okay um it is notable as a cultural artifact for a number of different reasons we're probably going to talk about in terms of lohan's career right Lohan started out as a Disney starlet. Mm-hmm. Um, films right. like, for example, The Parent Trap is perhaps her most obvious one, but she had like Herbie Fully Loaded. And I think she had Just My Luck with Chris Pine was also a Disney movie, possibly. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, and Disney then, Channel, I would say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Movie, yeah. Um, and then she kind of like started branching out. And like in 2006 was actually a fairly reasonable year for Lohan as a performer. Like in terms of marking an actor's trajectory, going from being a Disney starlet to being a starlet who is taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she actually starred in Robert Altman's final movie, um, which was A Prairie Home Companion in 2006, um, with Meryl Streep. And she actually garnered considerable press coverage for this. Um, w Magazine ran a feature profiling Lindsay Lohan and Meryl Streep called The Two Queens. A New York Times-style profile said, what if you took someone with Britney Spears' unfailingly wrong instincts about her image tossed in a dollop of Meryl Streep's talent and gave her flowing red hair that morphed on a moment's notice to deepest black or fairest blonde. You'd end up with a pretty good facsimile of Lindsay Lohan. There was a sense of Lohan being a star who was going somewhere. And I mean, in terms of modern like star trajectories, you look at things like, say, Emma Stone, for example, who had started out doing comedies like Easy A and then moved over into doing stuff like The Help and working with kind of veteran actors and kind of building up a persona that way. Then 2007 hit yeah i feel like she had that sort of bulletproof run of what freaky friday confessions of a teenage drama queen mean girls herbie just my luck and then by at that point the fame it seemed to have really got to her and there was the drug abuse on her she didn't seem to be you know the good actress for young kids to be watching up to anymore i think that's where the nosedive began and i think i remember this movie i know who killed me being the the start of the nosedive when people were like oh god this is what we're going to be getting from Lindsay Lohan anymore and then that was kind of it was downhill from there yeah I mean let, let's give a kind of a very brief timeline of her 2007 right just to get a sense yeah. of how quickly kind of the Lohan kind is this of... the year that, that Britney Spears also had a, a had a terrible year that sounds about right yeah, yeah. 2007, 2007 sounds yeah. about right <laughs> people um, say if Britney Spears got through 2007 I could get I can get through this yeah um, <laughs> yeah and Lindsay Lohan as, as well perhaps by the sound of things like she started out um, she rung in the new year at Scores night, at nightclub in New York which Andrew may know as the setting of the movie Hustlers Okay. Um, that's that's basically the strip club in New York that was the basis of the movie Hustlers. Um, and she spent the New Year's Eve there, allegedly doing research for the role that we're going to talk about today. Uh, she actually did some DJing and apparently got up on stage, did some dancing, as as one might do if you're Lindsay Lohan. Um, but what happened after the that? Tired drugs dancing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it started in Jan- for research. Yeah. On January fourth, she was admitted to hospital for an appendectomy, apparently. Um, and then she was in hospital there until about mid-February. Um, she spent March palling around New York City and L.A. with uh, rumor to enjoy flings with Jude Law, James Blunt, uh, and Ryan Philippe. Uh, in May, there was the video of her apparently snorting cocaine in the bathroom of a kind of a nightclub came out. 
On May 26, she had her first arrest, um, which is driving under the influence and having a usable amount of cocaine in her car, allegedly tracing da- chasing down a personal assistant who had quit and was literally fleeing for her life down the Pacific Coast Highway with her mother driving along the way. Um, despite that run-in with the law, she was arrested again uh, in July, two nights before this film was supposed to be released um, okay. as well. Uh, yes, she apparently during the filming of this, she was checked into rehab. Um, she would spend her nights in rehab, according to interviews, that she only went to rehab to help her sleep because she found she couldn't sleep outside of the rehabilitation facility. During interviews given during the production and immediate aftermath of the kind of release of this film, uh, director Chris Siverson said that this had no impact on production of this film whatsoever. She was actually the first person on set because she was getting a good night's sleep as she was filming it. And then she'd show up and we'd film it and then she'd, she'd go back and stuff like that. Afterwards, uh, Siverson came out and said, actually, no, she would disappear randomly during the filming of the film. Um, she would you know, not be present even though she was supposed to be. The film was budgeted and scheduled to shoot over the course of a single month. Because of Lohan's schedule, it ended up taking four months to shoot. And at the end, Lohan was so unreliable that he apparently had to hire a body double and CGI Lohan's face onto that body double oh, right. for certain scenes in the movie. Um, this was a sense of kind of how turbulent it was. It opened in cinemas. It garnered terrible, terrible reviews, as you might imagine that it would. It flopped at the box office. And notably, it was Lohan's last cinematic release until a cameo in Inappropriate Comedy, uh, a low-budget sketch comedy from 2010, and her last starring role in a theatrically released film until The Canyons in 2013. Uh, in the time in between, she kind of spaced that out with appearances in direct-to-video films, um, such as, for example, the Liz Taylor biopic, which I'm not sure if you guys are planning on covering. Oh, yeah, there's, there's a big debate. There's, there's an extra friend of mine has joined us, there's four of us, and that's split the divide between those who want to see bad movies and those who want to see good movies right down the middle. <laughs> so it's going to be tough. But yeah, we've, the Liz Taylor one is definitely on our radar, all right, to watch. Um, and yeah, so, so it's a very interesting film to kind of talk about in terms of that, because we, like... One of the things we've noticed when we talk about the bottom 100 um, is that the top 250 tends to be quite gendered uh, in terms of tends to be movies that are kind of aimed at a young male demographic. Yeah. Like there's a lot of gangster films mm. on there, a lot of superhero films on there. We look at the bottom 100. It's almost like the inverse of that. We we Last year we had Stacey Groudon on talking about Glitter, which is Mariah Carey's biopic. Yeah. We also did Spice based, World. We did Spice World as well. Is it in the bottom 100? It's in the bottom 100, yeah. Well, Glitter um, is basically A Star is Born. Yes, but we're there. (laughs) We had uh, also Jiggly uh, is on the bottom 100 as well. Swept Away is and so on. So there's a tendency for the the movies to kind of focus on young starlets. And again, it's kind of interesting in talking about this film in particular because you get the sense of it's difficult to talk about I Know Who Killed Me without talking about Lohan and particularly talking about the context of the movie in terms of her 2007, kind of where she was and how her career kind of was seen or perceived and how her public image was um, and kind of the relationship that exists between the public and the press. But so this was the second time you had watched um, I Know Who Killed Me. Yes. Can I ask, did it, uh, did rewatching add anything of value to it? Um, I definitely noticed things I didn't notice before. However, the first time I watched it, I was thrilled from start to finish, <laughs> which we'll get into, I suppose, later on. I didn't have that same aspect of thrill because I, I knew who killed her. 
we should probably actually mention this uh, just very, very briefly. We have three levels of knowledge of the film at the table here. So obviously, Kean has watched it twice. This was his second watch. Mm. I did some preliminary research into the film uh, for this pro- for this podcast just to have some background information. I regret doing that. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think you. And I'm, I'm really interested to hear at certain points of the movie when Andrew might have clocked certain things were happening. Yeah. Because I mean, because um, Andrew went in completely blind. Right. So again, yeah, <laughs> he's looking at us. Yeah, yeah. No, the the, the um, it I like. I don't. Um, I'm not sure. It's a. I feel it's a difficult movie to predict because you mightn't think that they're that they're going to do what they what they do. You think like, no, of course. <laughs> There's no way this There's movie no. would develop no. that way. No, and but, but then, then again, yeah. This is yeah. why I was so thrilled with watching it the first time because, and again, no spoilers for the moment. But I remember sitting there going, "I really want to know what happens," and literally anything could happen because you normally <laughs> have a movie that establishes the world. You watch Lord of the Rings, you know magic is possible for certain characters, this realm of magic. You watch other movies and you're like, we know ghosts are real. You watch another movie, you're like, we know monsters, aliens, right. they're all real. This movie, you're like, literally anything could be uh, from yeah. one moment behind the next, next door. <laughs> yeah. So you're like, this, I have no idea what's happening and I was thrilled. <laughs> so I, was that your experience of it, Andrew? Was I don't know. Like, like I, I, I thought that this was a, a straightforward movie, <laughs> and it's not. Yeah, no, 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 very, very little. More, there's not much more, I guess. I can, I can say about it. But um. all right, then. So with that in mind, then we'll, we'll ask three questions, and then we're going to jump into the spoiler zone and talk about it over death. Because as we kind of discussed. This is a movie it's probably best to see blind, I imagine. Yes. I, I, I kind of feel like that despite having ruined parts Aren't. of myself. <laughs> or, yeah, or not at all. <laughs> but we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. But so three questions before we jump in. So, Kian, just, just to start us off. Do you think that I Know Who Killed Me belongs on a list of the 100 worst movies ever made? No. I think there's enough there to engage the list, the, the listener, the viewer. I certainly think... The storytelling could be better, but it isn't shocking. I think the execution is poor, but again, isn't dreadful. From every movie that's ever made, like there's definitely there has to be a hundred worse than that. Um, and Andrew, yeah, I'd agree, and I I think it kind of maybe speaks to some of um what you had said before about. Um, the type of movie they get on the bottom 100 it's people who don't like those um uh, young female uh, starlets like yeah. the Britney Spears Lindsay Lohan yeah Crossroads is also um, on the bottom 100 as well okay. yeah yeah exactly right. um, and has that got to do with people who vote has that got to do with the demographic so. of, yeah. of IMDb users yeah I mean I mean typically you can go into the IMDb and you can kind of look at how it breaks down across stuff like age and, and gender and stuff like that and you'll notice that there are certain trends that tend to emerge like for example when Birds of Prey was released uh, Birds of Prey is a superhero movie it's a Warner Brothers movie it's technically a batman movie it should be a slam dunk for the list that includes you know batman begins uh you know the dark knight dark knight rises and joker at the moment you think this has a decent chance of getting in well except except it's except yes probably not right no it it would be more like the uh, justice league yeah any movie that has the word fan 
Fantabulous. Fantabulous. Emancipation. <laughs> Emancipation. Uh, but if you go into the stats and you actually look at who's voting, um, there's a very clear gender divide in terms of where the scores rank. Okay. Uh, in terms of it being around 5.8 for men and 7.6 for women. That yeah. sort of thing as well. And it kind of tends to get weighted one way or the other in terms of that as well. I also w- wonder as well how much of this has got to do with Lindsay Lohan, especially the initial reviews when it came out of just kicking Lindsay Lohan when she's down. Yeah. You know? Like you could watch this and be more favorable than I think some of the reviews say. And especially this movie swept the Razzies. I'm not sure if that came up in your review. Like yeah. it won a lot of Razzies and you do have it to It broke work. the record for the most Razzie wins in a single year, which yeah. had I think previously been tied with Battlefield Earth at seven. This one eight. That's astonishing. Lohan took home two acting trophies for this, which gives you a sense of she how... Collect well, them? Uh, no, no, she did not. Uh, well, again, the people who actually collected them is relatively rare. Uh, Paul Verhoeven for Showgirls, I think, was the first. Mm-hmm. And Sandra Bullock for The Blind Side when she picked up her Oscar the following Sunday as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, which is great, which is a wonderful power move, I mm. think, from Bullock. But yeah, they, it got eight Razzie wins. Um, and again, two of those to Lohan, which it seems incredibly malicious and mean-spirited. It does. And especially like, I'm just, because th- it's recently in the head, all everything about Caroline Flack, you have to say this is another example of right. you know, kicking women when they're down. Well, that's an example. Exactly. And then this is the thing where, you know, again, talking about Lohan's kind of, you know, Annabelle's Harless or whatever, the kind of the sense of it feeling very predatory and very cynical and the way in which all this stuff was reported. I mean, the famous image, arguably the image that ruined her career, is that shot of her in the seat of a car passed out. Uh, with the hoodie up and stuff like that, what was circulated kind of wildly. That Wait, and the mugshot, I think. That, is that, that. Yeah, and the video of the cocaine as well. Yeah. The, way, the way in which they were spread online and kind of malicious, and the joy that was kind of taken in this idea of a young woman who was seen as being a Disney starlet and kind of watch how far she falls. And again, you have the kind of discussion about like the studios as well, where you would have, on the one hand, executives writing angry letters to her about showing up late for the filming of Herbie Fully Loaded and making sure, by the way, that the letters leaked to the press the same day that they were sent and those same executives then inviting her to a benefit hosted by Ben Affleck you know for his climate change action or whatever for kind of like whatever charity that he was sorry it was a George Clooney benefit Um, but you have the kind of push and pull where you have the kind of the the studios and the publicists kind of on one stage chiding Lohan for kind of what she's doing, but also being just as happy to kind of parasitically benefit off that in the sense that nobody necessarily wanted what was best for her as well, which is incredibly cynical. And it's the way the machine sort of works. Yeah. Um, and again, it's notable that around the same time you had the Britney Spears thing happening, which is another mm. example of that, where you have that weird dichotomy. And again, this is the thing that I think is going to be fun to talk about, well, fun in inverted commas, but I think that will be interesting to talk about in the spoiler zone is I think that if you wanted to be extremely generous, like unfathomably generous to this movie, you could I argue that... I feel like you were going to make that <laughs> You could feel like maybe there's something in I Know Who Killed Me about that, about the relationship that exists between the, the want or desire for these young stars to be both virgin and whore, Madonna and whore, to be both, you know, sort of... Right. Like, something that's kind of idolized and venerated and treated as an object of desire and attraction while also being something that then is a source of sordid fascination and grotesque kind of, uh, you know, circus. Uh, kind There's of, definitely yeah. an irony to the movie. Yeah. Kind of, I don't know if they play up the, the Madonna, as you'd say, side of the character's personality yeah. without getting too into it for that. I kind of just felt somebody said, we need a, we need a thriller for Lindsay Lohan. Let's say... How could we write The Parent Trap and Freaky Friday as well? <laughs> yeah. How could we get twins to change bodies? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, because I mean, when we get into the sports zone, this is very much, and it's kind of weird to talk about Lindsay Lohan as an auteur, but it's like this is very much a Lindsay Lohan movie. It has a very important place. No in one Lindsay else Lohan can role. We, yeah, that's a very literally. We haven't spoiled anything yet because maybe they gave up on the idea of trying to incorporate those, <laughs> those elements, elements. Yeah. Um, like everybody else on the film seems to have given up. And yes, I don't know. I don't think that this would rank on the bottom. I don't think this is among the worst 100 movies I've ever seen. To be absolutely honest, I've seen some terrible, terrible movies. It's more along the lines of when we watch Slenderman. It feels very much like a kind of a low-budget, badly-made horror movie, as opposed to one of the worst movies we've ever seen, um, I would argue. Yeah. I'm, I I maybe liked... Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think I did like Slenderman a little bit more than this. Um, but... Yeah, the the. Uh... Uh, on the other hand, though, I'll give I'll give I'll go with Keen. I'll side with Keen on this and say that you know, Slender Man had like rules to its world. I think to a certain yeah. extent. Well, it was it was definitely yeah. It was it's the Slender Man world. Yeah. yeah, as opposed to this, which is very much you know like like they got a copy of Heath Ledger's script from The Dark Knight a little bit early, and they're like the only sensible way to write a script in this world is without rules. You know. Mm-hmm. Right. We're going to introduce this new element 50 minutes into the movie and just roll with it. And it's not even the central focus of the movie. Um, That's the central focus of the movie. Yeah, we're going to ask you that in a second. Yeah, even when when they tell us what it is, I was like, no, no, that can't be it. Um, (laughs) It's a red herring. It has to be like background noise, right? They can't can't be going with this. But anyway, before we jump into the sports, one second question then, which is, is this among the worst 100 movies you have ever seen? Probably. Um, only because I can't even put a number on how many movies I have seen. But, you know, even though I was thrilled by it, even though I enjoyed it, I, and I with my critical hat on, I can say they did a lot wrong. I'd say it's probably, you know, like number 80. Like it's low, <laughs> low in the 100. It could get bumped out over but, time. Yeah. It would have By the time to you hit 40, logic. logically, it'll be, okay. it'll be out. It's like a scale out. Um, I was yeah. going to ask, actually, you mentioned you had like your sort of Hillary Duff scale. So you have your grading system for yes. a Hillary Duff movie. Yeah. Now, I realize you are literally only one movie into your Lohan cycle. Well, we watched do- Freaky Friday this month. So two, ah, two movies two, in. Yeah. So do you have like a Lohan scale? Like, is but, there a similar sort of grading system oh, in operation? Oh, that's exactly the same system. We just, oh, have just changed the percentage name. of Hillary to percentage of Lindsay. Can, yeah. can we ask very quickly, and again, maybe with no spoilers, do you happen to have the score sheet for this movie present? Uh, no. Okay. But I was going to ask you to fill out what your scores will be at the oh, end of this. Oh, okay. Before we jump into the scores, I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, Andrew, yeah, so... For that. So would it be on my... I'm just thinking... I'm just remembering parts of the movie that that were bonkers and thinking, yeah, no, actually, all, yeah, it definitely should be... Yeah, so it should at least be on my list of of, of, of the worst movies I've seen because I was thinking about particular moments. I mean, but they make the... But the parts that make the movie most kind of um, uh, fun are kind of remarkable at the same time. But also, there's a great attention to detail in the movie. There's, like... And we'll get into this a bit later on. There's things that you see in the opening few scenes that are, are emerge back again in the final ones. And that's kind of what I enjoyed the most watching. Right. Time. And I was like, that's why they're showing me this because I know this comes up later on. And there is, yeah, there's there, a great attention to detail. There are elements of that, undoubtedly. And there's also and there's gaping g- plot holes. There are also <laughs> gaping plot holes. And watching it a sense of like, it's like, we're, what are we going to do? We're going to throw all the balls in the air and we're going to catch like three of them randomly at the end. And um, there's a real sense of that when you're watching. What are those loose strings? <laughs> yeah, just ignore. Just do you ever watch like yeah. The Apprentice and they have a big task to do and there's this one person in the room who's like, 
really focused on the font of the, the flyer. This happened with this movie. Somebody <laughs> went into a lot of detail on the colour schemes of the movie and then blatantly uh, missed other big <laughs> holes in the plot. Yeah. It's, it's no swear to describe this as Lindsay Logan's blue movie, I think, perhaps. Um, and, and in terms of the worst movies I've ever seen, probably not. I don't think so. Okay. I think there's a little bit, there's enough interest there. Um, there's enough sort of craziness going on. It is also, weirdly enough, it's kind of caught between two poles because there are extended periods where it's very boring and very dull. Uh, yeah. I, was quite, I was quite surprised at how slow it was starting. And again, this is maybe, again, because I feel like maybe I spoiled it for myself. There's a sense of, when are we getting to the fireworks factory while watching, say, the first 25 minutes of the film? Because I know, I had a rough idea of some of the stuff that was coming because right. I had accidentally spoiled it. And it's like, this is just very generic stuff that's happening. When do we get to the fun stuff? Um, but I mean, I thought there was enough interesting there that it wouldn't be on my bottom 100. And then... Yeah, there's a lot more that needs to happen in the first maybe 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it does, it does, yeah, yeah, let's go a bit slowly. And before we ask if you want to recommend it, do you want to run through the Lohan scale? Yeah, well, it's, just, it's the same one, do you, you want me to... So let, let's go one at a time, because I can't remember off the top of my head. Okay, sure. Okay, so out of ten. Um, well, should we do this at the end, or do you want me to do it before the spoilers? Zone? Do it before we can the... All, okay. Oh, okay, oh, well... Then we can all say, because then I, then I can write, explain yeah. why oh, I wrote yeah. them. Yeah. We'll Perfect, let's do it, it at the end. Sorry to take over the, the, <laughs> the show. Somebody has to be in. Somebody has to run this thing. do this every week from now on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're now the host. It's, you've, seen, <laughs> you've seen Captain Phillips, right? You are the podcast okay, host yeah. now. <laughs> but before we do, so quick question. Yeah. If people listening to this podcast have not yet watched I Know Who Killed Me, Keeping in mind that it's available for download, you can buy it online, you can buy it on DVD, it is readily available and easy to watch, unlike some of the bottom 100 movies. Would you recommend that they pause the podcast, run out, watch the movie, and join us on the other side of the spoiler zone? I think so. I think, like, if you listen to this and you, if you listen to all of this, I don't know if it's really worth watching. So <laughs> I'd say, you know, strap yourself in, put it on, expect the plot to go anywhere, and just see, just see if you're right. All right. And Andrew? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I would, I would recommend people. I mean, you can watch it now on a bus. So, uh, <laughs> the modern technology. Yeah, 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 yeah. What but a wonderful it, but... future we have. Um, <laughs> Two thousand seven has this wonderful technology, but they can't imagine watching films on a bus. No, no. Um, I just, I like it every time you say, like, if they haven't seen it yet, should they run out? <laughs> no, <laughs> stay no in the room. Stay wherever you are watching the podcast, yeah, yeah, yeah. and just open another tab on your phone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do, do it for Lindsay. She's had, a, she had a tough time. She did. Do she did. Her. Hopefully, she she'll suffered. get some residual from that. You know. 120 you pay she suffered for this yes actually she very much did and and, suffered and yeah yeah yeah. and the production (laughs) suffered from 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 her Uh, yeah yeah um yeah and in terms of recommendation yes if you if you are interested in basically it's a movie that sells itself if you hear i know who killed me Lindsay lohan's career killing movie from 2007 and don't immediately go, why would I watch that? Oh, we it's should horny. probably watch this. What? <laughs> if, 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 if somebody is, is looking for another reason to watch it, that it's, it's, it's a very horny movie. If, if, it, um, it's if, very, yeah, we're probably going to talk about that in the spoiler zone, the weirdness of its horniness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's not, it's not straight up horny. It's like horny no. in very odd ways that are occasionally very uncomfortable. Like. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a horror thriller you know yes. hmm. and like if you sit down and watch this with the expectation of a horror which is i'm here to get frightened i'm here to not really worry about the plot i think that it does the job yeah, yeah. all right then so join us on the other side of the spoiler zone 
Spoiler zone. <laughs> so, Kian, yeah, what is I know who killed me about for you? Oh, I don't know if it's that much. <laughs> uh, like I said, I, I think it was basically a movie written to a, you know, uh, I can't think of the word, a brief. Yeah. It's like, write a horror movie for Lindsay Lohan. They took the idea of twins, took the idea of you know, body swapping. Right. And they kind of just went with it. I don't, I think you might be being mean generous, giving it a deeper meaning than it is. They certainly try play on symbolism in the movie. I don't know if it's any bigger than the world that they create, which has no rules. Let's talk about this in terms of the Lohan stuff, because it is very much a kind of a Lohan film, because it does, it feels very much like a young actor trying to reject the Disneyfication of their images. Uh, and again, you get a bit of that, like it's, it's a common thing when actors and musicians are coming out. Think of like Christina Aguilera with Dirty, for example. Mm. It's very much... Miley a, Cyrus at the MTV Video Awards where she yeah. was twerking on Robin Thicke and all that. Yeah, yeah it's very much Selena like... Selena Gomez has... Well, she, she, she's done a, in like in a... Quite quite kind of um mature kind of like uh, uh sorry not 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 to say that there's something immature but in a in a in a kind of a um subtle and kind of like by steps yeah, sort yeah. Of way. yeah. it's more in her music i think she just tries to be more sexy yeah mm. more se- right she doesn't do it like but more grown up as well yeah kind of in terms of but she hasn't done it like the amanda Bynes, the mighty cyrus Lindsay lohan where it's like i'm a woman now and i'm sexual right yeah, it's been more gradual yeah. But, and this is very much a I'm a woman I'm sexual now to the point where it opens with Lindsay Lohan dancing at a strip club yeah um, like it's very, very tired uh, kind of Lindsay Lohan uh, dancing at a strip club I mean, like, like it's not a sexy strip club yeah. no no it's it um and it, it, it like I well, it's also I think because it doubles as take me seriously as an actor as well in terms of like that career trajectory. So it's not just I'm sexual, although there is an element yeah, of I'm yeah, sexual yeah. here. Um, there's also an element of I'm carrying this movie, this story of you know, and again it, it's it's a horror movie, it's a schlocky movie, but there's a sense of well trauma, and not just trauma in the sense of I'm having my limbs cut off or I'm suffering. You've watched the movie, I can say it now, from stigmatic twin syndrome. <laughs> uh, but even things like, well, my mother was a crack addict and I found her dead body and I had $11 that you had apparently sent her because you sent her money in singles, uh, which is a very weird detail, Daniel. <laughs> um, didn't know that I needed to know that, but thank you for that. Um, but there is a kind of... Well, he, uh, she's a stripper. <laughs> no, her mother. She, yeah, oh, yeah. It, yeah no, sorry, sorry. Yeah, her mother goes, wasn't a stripper. No, <laughs> I didn't beg your no her mother was... Yeah. just a crack addict um right, i think right, is, right. is the but there is a real maybe sense of, maybe when you're buying crack and you give oh, like <laughs> yeah and you give them a 20 it's like come on if you're not gonna hit smaller yeah, <laughs> i can't yeah. you don't want to break it on crack yeah but the geography of the movie is strange as in so and then she plays two characters aubrey and dakota and aubrey is the wholesome woman from new girl from new salem who plays yeah. piano and writes and wears glasses i wears gla- sometimes glasses sexy sexy glasses and writes <laughs> interesting teen literature and is a, a you know is she a cheerleader no she, her boyfriend no her boyfriend plays football team. team and then dakota is you know the what girl who slips through the cracks and is a, a stripper and works in a club presumably she doesn't live in new Zealand. she lives where, in the real world yeah but where is the real world like maybe it's just because i'm here and i'm reminded of twin peaks but like that strip club could have been in twin peaks like it's just almost like southern like you know town where people are left like it isn't a wholesome town that this this club is in and 
it's just very strange. Well, it is. Like, again, I... Looks it's like the wrong side of the tracks where yeah. all the kind of industry and stuff is. Yeah, because yeah. there's a shot and of then, her walking trying to hail a lorry with the three smokestacks sitting behind her as well in case you don't get how derelict this environment is. And somehow ending up in a ditch. It's never quite explained how she ends up yeah, in a ditch. But from, are those three smokestacks in New Salem? I don't, don't think so. Yeah, New Salem did she just... Like, wander up and down the highway until she wandered into a ditch and said I'm done now yeah I don't know yeah. is that where she gets the bus from is New Salem just a nice part of um, upstate of, New York of, isn't it of this um, yeah oh okay it's, yeah. it's it's east coast upper east coast anyway I don't yeah. know if it's New so York so that's why but... where is this strip club place with the grotty people and like I don't feel understand. like it's in Buffalo maybe. <laughs> <laughs> is yeah. Buffalo bad <laughs> <laughs> just because they have the chicken wings um, but the thing is again and it's interesting that you point to Twin Peaks because again I, oh, it they, feels appropriate that they're definitely going for, for the like, Twin Peaks yeah. like I mean even the, the, or for Lynch even just kind of with the the, the, toe the blue and kind of uh, tint, ribbon the, and uh, yeah and the idea of kind the of the, the duplicates and the doppelgangers which is again yeah. a Lynchian theme as well the idea of the intrusion it, of kind of like the monstrous gritty real world into like an idyllic suburb, uh, you know, suburban existence yeah. which again is a Lynch thing from Blue Velvet to pick an example there isn't as much but, head trauma I mean, they do. Well, they, they do, do unfair, have some of it. Yeah, and they do yeah. unfair that Dakota is, or Aubrey is, suffering head trauma when she wakes up as Dakota. You know? And even show the the football players like crashing into each other, but it's not kind of they they don't they don't go for that. Would have been another kind of a easy Lynch touchstone, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, even even things like, for example, you know, the kind of the the symbolic imagery. There's lots of like petals from blue roses falling slowly. Mirrors. There's a lot. Of, the opening shot is the reflection of a strip club in a just yeah. in case you don't get that this is a story about mirroring man and reflections and doubles and even things like for example the owl which is a weirdly specific Twin Peaks reference because again you have in Twin Peaks the idea that the owls know outside of town and so Dakota ends up guided by an owl to finding all which has no home. explanation to the movie other than the fact that the football team were called the owls yeah yeah it makes absolutely and when she's standing at the bus stop there's a red owl behind her yeah. For no reason. Yeah, just because. In her file, does it say uh, somewhere on the uh, pay on the table where they're kind of arranging uh, photos and and a little uh, details about her? Does does it say somewhere town mascot? <laughs> <laughs> so maybe maybe she is the spirit kind of maybe the owl is her spirit animal and that she's some sort of like representation. She, yeah. yeah. That she's she's a, a a human manifestation of of the of the owl spirit of the town, and that the, 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 she has some kind of twin. Well, she does suffer stigmata. It's quite literally called stigmata. Although I do like the film goes out of its way to specify non-religious stigmata. Yeah. To be absolutely clear, I don't, I don't know why I went suggesting that, but actually, like that, that's not that much crazy. <laughs> no, than any. But I mean, like at the start of the movie, they're in a lab, and one of the guys asks if I split a worm into two worms or into two does become two worms i'm like why isn't she the worm of the town like that that makes more sense right oh, but the owl eats the worm <laughs> i think we're on to something here it's, it's crap um, and again like so ridiculously heavy-handed it's like i always felt i was half a person uh narrates i think dakota at the start of the film yeah. and you have even the the crying woman because again lots of crying women in this film again another kind of lynch touch where everybody is really histrionic and upset even when there's no context for it yeah like the woman who's driving the car saying and it's like i'm not my own person anymore in case you don't get the subtext of the story um i did like by the way they show very briefly aubrey's story on screen 
And I absolutely love that it seems to have been dictated by a production assistant because it says she could imagine that her mother was comma, oh, comma, I don't know, Cameron Diaz or Gwen Stefani. And it feels like maybe Aubrey should do another pass on that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested, Andrew, when did you notice the the colour scheme? <laughs> yes. Fairly early. It, it's the, because... Um, Aubrey in the movie is abducted by the Blue Man Group, and um, and it, but they they have all these kind of blue um torture instruments. They they feel like uh baddies from Star Trek, don't they? Oh, like, like the guys from Schism or whatever. Yeah, right? where a person would wake up and there'd be all of these strange kind of um, surgical, surgical instruments and they're all blue and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And very bespoke, by the way. I love that the piano teacher is also, one one imagines, a He's kind of a, a glass worker in his own soul. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. He the, enjoys piano music yeah, and kind of making yeah. his own torture implements. Well, I, 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 in the first few scenes, I like the opening scene with, at the piano, I don't know if it's the exact opening scene, but one yeah. of the first scenes and the piano teacher has this soft blue ring. I right. remember turning to my friends going, that ring is going to be important. <laughs> <laughs> so then blue was on my mind. I was like, why is there so much blue? And then you have your you blue injected... glasses. The listeners can't see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> has gotten into the spirit of the, of, the, of the film that we're discussing. I should have came in all blue and red. Was I thinking. <laughs> and then when it transitions to Dakota, everything is red. Yeah. So then I spend the whole time going, well, that's blue. And that's red. And that, that built, oh, you've a red notebook. So you're red. You're red, red shirt. You're red shirt as well. Yeah. Um, I, I, was I love the idea that Andrew is kind of Dakota to, to Keenan's Aubrey. I was I was wondering how uh, how she got all of Dakota's clothes. Yes, that's exactly what I was wondering. Because the moment when the switch happens, right? She's in hospital yeah. and she's taken home with her yes. parents and in inverted commas, but she's still wearing like red hot pants and yeah. red tight shirts mm. and kind of red tight pants. And you're like, does Aubrey have like a secret kind of vaguely kind of you know? sluttyish red wardrobe going on there underneath the kind of blue clothes that she wears every day yeah. or did Dakota just like have her mother go out to the shop with a shopping list and say I want red <laughs> hot pants she had a secret slutty wardrobe in her mind that, <laughs> in her mind I like that. yeah yeah that, that like like that she that she wanted to kind of open up um, but I, I, they they I feel I feel like they weren't too different like when 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 Dakota comes to 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 live kind of as Aubrey and she's like oh I'm Aubrey I'm this perfect kind of but 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 that Aubrey was a person who wanted to kind of break out of that who was maybe kind of having her they never explain Aubrey's essay called Dakota about this girl right who always felt like she was half a person and then had this mother who happened to be exactly the same name as her mother in real life and I was like, how does Aubrey know about Dakota? That's their spiritual connection. Yeah, it's, it's the dream. The, it's a dream man. It's on because she does. She does. She talks they about dreaming. Stigmata right? signals. <laughs> they, they're listening to Art Bell, but, but Dakota doesn't know until later on in the movie. <laughs> yeah, because because presumably Dakota never actually dreamed. Dakota never had the opposite dream. Yeah, where she kind of dreamt she was in I don't know Desperate Housewives or something. You know, it was never a real moment where Dakota sat down and wrote her essay called yeah. Aubrey. That yeah. was much less exciting and Maybe interesting Dakota's and saucy. Illiterate. Oh, no. <laughs> she read she read the website so she never thought that that's fair um, well to be fair she did watch the video by Art Bell and um, a cameo again lots it? of inappropriate that smoking that was crazy what, uh, who, who is Art Bell okay so Art Bell for listeners who are not familiar again non-American listeners I wasn't familiar is best known as the host on Coast to Coast AM 
which is the service that operates across the United States, mainly listened to by truckers and by insomniacs, people who can't sleep. Okay. It's notorious for being sort of a hub of conspiracy theory central. And in fact, Art Bell's approach, one of the reasons why he was so loved, was because what he would do is he would invite people on and let them talk. He would let people kind of talk and tell their story and would never kind of attack them or be openly skeptical of them. He kind of asked them questions and kind of engaged with them. And so it became kind of a, an institution in America. Um, and again, what he would normally do is he would actually come in on Christmas and leave the phones open so that if you were there on Christmas by yourself, yeah. you could actually ring up and talk to him on the radio, which I always thought was a very sweet sentiment. Mm. But he is primarily known um, as a voice of conspiracy theories, particularly in the 90s, uh, where he appeared in, say, an episode of Millennium, Chris Carter's Millennium, playing himself as a host of, uh, you know, Coast to Coast AM. Mm-hmm. But even here, I kind of, the film is leaning heavily into Art Bell as conspiracy theorist when he's it like. A really janky kind of like window open on, on a laptop. Kind of, and we're forced to watch the whole thing. <laughs> the we person, don't see that she's like watching it or anything. No, it's, it's just, just the, the, the screen it. monitor kind of stuff. So, again, one of the, it was one of, one of the several kind of crazy moments in this, the, I think that I love that he's smoking. I love that like he's, he's <laughs> yeah. It's like we only have Art Bell for fifteen minutes. Are you going to tell him to put out the cigarette? We do get a lot of inappropriate smoking. We have Art Bell smoking. We also have her smoking on, on the, the bus, bus and yeah. in the family and in home. the house. And the mom takes the cigarette off for it. Yeah, it's not a smoking house and has a drag. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. some inappropriate behavior with a cigarette, which I think is a new one for the two fifty as well. Um, oh yeah, she definitely shouldn't uh, like take a drag. I suppose people do that all the time. But you could kind of if, if feel. I don't, I don't, I don't judge. That we, we, we don't judge. Him. It's okay. <laughs> oh, hold on. Wait a second. How did she? No, I, I, I. Are you suggesting that she took a drag out of it? Um, in in some different way. I don't think that was implied at all. No, I was. I think no, because your lipstick's on. Lipstick, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. So it what, looks what, like he wants to put it. It looks like he wants. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very clearly. Again, it is like a stigmata twin of something else when she rubs it along her thigh and then he smells it. And so that's the... what's happening with Aubrey. She's, um, no. <laughs> okay. Is she the cigarette? Anyway, never mind. The, those, the stripping scenes go on far too long. Yes. They go on really and long. I do sometimes wonder, it was there an actual version of the movie before editing that had all these loopholes filled in? Because as the movie goes on, the more she seems to know without us seeing her learn it. Yeah. Um, like her confrontation do... with Daniel like yeah. at, at the end where he, like she's just had this really big emotional moment with her mother which is played it's like it's Julie Orman sort of like how we convinced Julie Orman to be in this movie. It's the story where she's telling about her baby and how hard she kicked and I need you to keep kicking and you cut from that directly to Daniel I know I'm a crack baby and I know you swapped me. But you see the, the scene with Julie Orman is because she goes, I think I'm a twin. And yeah. she's like, no, no, I have a video of my ultrascan. Who has that in 2007? <laughs> <laughs> so you're not a twin. So we're like, oh, okay, we're at a dead end. And then it's like, no, I was a twin. Your baby died in an incubator and I even bought me off the crack whore down the hall. You're like, how do you know this? <laughs> it's insane. It's such a jump. Yeah. And to the point where I'm like, no, no, no. That's and not, also, how does like, she know who the piano teacher is? I hadn't even realized oh, that. How does she know who the piano teacher is? Oh, wait, no. I think all of this is, is explained by her intuiting through the mind of, of, Aubrey, of, of yeah. Aubrey. So she has a kind yeah, of a pure psychic the po- possibility. Yeah. All of a sudden well, she can play piano. When she's get, Now that she's been closer for a long time, her psychic link, the channels <laughs> have been reestablished. 
See, this was all cut to get us more of the strip scenes. And again, it, it, genuinely, no, it, it genuinely does feel like a that. A really long sex scene as well. I yes. feel, I, feel the, 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 I got the sense that the the the, um, the, uh, the strip club scenes I, scenes I don't think were meant to be sexy. I feel like the, the sex scenes maybe were. Yeah, I thought that actually yeah. came across as sexy. And, and, yeah. and, the, and like it's the one joke... Well, the one joke the movie is aware that it's making perhaps is the best way to phrase it but it's the one funny scene in the movie yeah there's actual comedy when the boyfriend and the mum are in the house and it's dakota it's at aubrey and she's bossing her mum around and she's riding her boyfriend that's like he's never been written before (laughs) (laughs) you know like there's actual decent comedy in that scene i I kind of yeah and again it's one of those but it's it's a weird moment because it so throws off the balance the rest of the movie because the movie's going for this kind of hitchcock vibe which is this idea of kind of women being kind of duplicates and exchangeable and kind of replacements for one another. And it's meant to be unsettling and uncomfortable and the idea that Dakota's kind of suffocated in Aubrey's world. And it then jumps straight to, well, how do I prove I'm not Aubrey? Let's have a comedy sex scene. Um, and right also, there. she bites his lip first time they kiss and she's like, Aubrey wouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> and then him running around looking for a condom as well from the police. Yeah. The first time I watched her, right? So I was obviously, I was well into this red blue motif. It was going to remind me of Breaking mm. Bad when everyone had different colours for different reasons. And then the boyfriend drives in with it. It's all yellow. Big yellow car with <laughs> yellow trim over his shoulders. And I was like, okay, what does this mean? And then we never see him again. <laughs> yeah. Actually, yes, we never see him again. We also never see the gardener again. Yes, played by um, Rodney Rowland. Yeah, there's there's a slew of characters in this movie, and I don't know if I like this or not. It's not conventional storytelling in a movie, but it's also more realistic that like she wakes up in someone else's world, and there's all these characters you get introduced to that you never see again. You see the psychiatrist a good bit over a period of ten minutes. You never right. see Gregory Atzan, fresh off his Emmy win from Twenty Four, by the way. Oh, was it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> never as bankable again. There's the guy on the bus with the tattoo that's alive that says, "You know, people get cut. That's life." There's like <laughs> all a these, line all, if ever there was one. All these characters: the nurse, the doctor, the female guards, the male guards the two fbi in, agents who are, even who are in and out and there's no explanation of who they are or where they're going oh yeah yeah you have that guy that the camera um uh focuses on when you when you zoom out from uh the 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 yellow guy driving away while she's in the boot yeah and it goes the mustache fbi agent yeah no no oh. no not the mustache uh, fbi agent the, the 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 guy with the big kind of bald head that you see several yes, times yeah. uh throughout yeah like we're meant to kind of look at him and say oh who's that guy is he a suspect but again the thing with the gardener is like the gardener is introduced in the scenes with aubrey and then disappears when sort of once Dakota comes in that's interesting because he's clearly set up as a red herring because you have yeah. him like peering or a blue herring ah uh, if you will yeah <laughs> you have him kind of peering in the window as she's getting her piano lessons you have the sequence with and again this is part of the thing where I'm like uh is the movie being maybe a bit smarter than I think it is where it's like, he's like, look at my broom erection while I'm feeding this branch into mm. a shredder. But and it's all, like, that's what he sits in the car and checks him out in the rearview mirror, yeah. which is actually a very Dakota thing to do because yeah. Aubrey's supposed to be so wholesome. Yeah. So mm. it's baffling that he disappears throughout the movie. That's it, exactly. Because he shows up in the town scene after that and then he's gone. Yeah. Like, that's it. That's his last mm. appearance. By the way, it's worth noting that uh, if listeners are familiar with kind of the X-Files or anything like that, that's Ronnie Rowland who appeared on Space Above Beyond. He was a series regular on Space Above Beyond and appeared in Never Again, the X of the X-Files where Scully gets a tattoo. 
because they're running low on ideas at that oh, point. Oh, that's where I don't know. <laughs> from. Uh, but it's, got, no, it's, it's really weird when you see an actor like that who has no lines whatsoever. And kind of you wonder, was there a cut of the movie where maybe he had a single line, perhaps? Or a little bit more to do. Also, Aubrey's friends never come to visit her in the hospital. We, yeah. We're introduced yeah. to at the start. Oh, yeah. And we never see them again. And I actually, I kind of like the movie for that because it's against the grain. And I spent the first part of the movie going, I really just felt I haven't got my bearings with this world yet. Like, not only the rules about matching ghosts, but it's also like, who are the characters I'm supposed to care about? Yeah. I don't well, know. Yeah, and it takes you out of it more because it's like, okay, this is Aubrey, this is Aubrey. Okay, it's not Aubrey anymore. So yeah, everything that you've kind of, yeah, ev- like Aubrey had a boyfriend, that's not her boyfriend. Aubrey had friends, those aren't her friends. Yeah. These aren't her parents. Um, yeah, then nothing. Yeah, again, and, it, and it does feel like you can almost feel the scissors of kind of ending coming down. Because you imagine like the scene at the climax with Daniel, her father. It's weird that that's not her boyfriend in that role. Mm. Where particularly when they're like, "Let's go and investigate your music teacher's house. Call the police." Now nah, we don't have time for that. Um, but like the bit where he goes in and gets killed entirely off screen, so they can have like one conversation where he's lying there going, "I'm so sorry." And now I'm dead. Is that you, Aubrey? And yeah. she's like, no, I'm Dakota, but he's about to die. So <laughs> yeah. I'll say I am Aubrey. But she also calls him then Mr. Whatever his surname <laughs> is and not Dad, which I thought was... <laughs> like, he, he dies going, wait, what? Um, but I mean, it, it does... This is Mr. Jarvis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, you Do you remember his... sleeping with Mr. Jarvis? <laughs> Who has a blue coat, by the way, because yeah. of course he does. Um, but again, like so much of that, it feels very much like somebody took like not just a scalpel, but a chainsaw to it. And part of me wonders if part of this is down to the whole like shooting schedule with Lohan, where it was supposed to take a month, but it ended up taking four months. And so they got yeah. to the bit where they're like, okay, let's shoot the climax. But Brian Garrity, who gets an and credit somehow. Who, who's Brian Garrity? The boyfriend. Okay. I've never seen him in. When I was watching this first time around, I, sorry, this, this time, there's a scene where Aubrey slash Dakota's in bed and she sees the pictures of Jennifer Tolan, the girl who's gone missing previously, who has the similar wounds to her. Yes. And the mom freaks out at the police agent. And I'm thinking, how does this further the plot at all? Yeah. In hindsight, it like... This isn't where it's going. It leads you on so many dead ends that you're yeah. so confused. It's, yeah, and and that whole thing as well about like oh we'll 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 keep her here to to um to draw out the you're using uh, me as bait. Yeah, yeah, but that doesn't no, pay off in any way. Again. And also even like the serial killer's weird collection of prosthetic limbs, mm. which is and again, okay, yeah. let's talk about the prosthetic limbs was, first. Uh, of all. The guy who is kind of the. I thought, it, it, like, because there was a guy in the hospital who sorts out all the prosthetics, you would think maybe if anyone owned so many prosthetics, it would be that guy. And it, it, the really kind of um, uh, flamboyant kind of, he was also wearing yellow. It looked, it, it was like they had went for Andre 3000 and they <laughs> oh, had no, yes. kind of, I, I uh, said yeah. Snoop Dogg, Robo Arm Snoop Dogg. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it, it's incredible as well that, oh, this is another robot arm in a bottom 100 movie. Yeah. Oh, no, wait, we had a robot leg for Matthew McConaughey, didn't we? Yes, yes, we yes, did in, yes, in Texas did. Chainsaw Massacre, uh, the, next, the generation. next generation. Yeah. I do wonder, though, whoever wrote this movie, they wrote themselves into so many dead ends that they had to get themselves back out of again. Like, right, the serial killer is the piano killer and the piano teacher. So yeah. make some significance about the fingers. He doesn't need to cut off the whole leg 
from the knee down. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then they have direct reaction to be like, well, okay, now she's going to have to have a robot arm and a robot leg that needs to be charged. Because then you have Chekhov's charged leg when you're like, once you hear her say twice, oh, I always forget to charge it. You're like, this is going to die at an inopportune moment. Yeah, no, that's exactly because like the guy giving her the leg is like, oh, when if it dies, it'll be like carrying around a peg leg. And she's like, oh, I'm just charging it because I always forget to charge it. Never. So you're waiting for the moment at the end where it's where it kind of pays off. Keep it charged. Yeah. Yeah. Never get it wet. <laughs> <laughs> Don't no matter what after me. Yeah. Um, well, okay. Well, I want to kind of talk about the body horror a bit later, but let's talk about the, the limb stuff because this is weirdly surreal. And again, part of me wonders if this is a situation with the production where it's like they were so committed to the idea of having the limbs chopped off, then realized how much it cost. And we're like, sugar, we, we can't like green screen her arm and leg in every scene. So it's like, I don't know. Right in a robot leg. Uh, I, th- I don't think it's just cost because she never would have been able to chase him on her crutches. That's fair, I suppose. So it's a very strange she, choice. Why like, does she stay out in the car <laughs> when, when her dad goes in? Other than that, like, she <laughs> ran out of... Um, Juice with yeah, the leg. Yeah, yeah. But she hadn't. Plugged it into the uh, oh, cigarette lighter. But the, the robot arm <laughs> comes yes, into USB. play later on when she, first of all, he grabs her arm and the arm comes off, the robot arm comes off. Yes. And then when she's punching through the, the grave. Chekhov's robot fist, because you've had sequences with the she boyfriend where he's like, stop grabbing it so hard. And it's like, like this is going to, this actually pays off. Have you ever seen a coffin with glass on it? <laughs> and then like at the end, like, and this is one of those, where did she get the wardrobe moments? Because she smashes the glass, right? Which into Aubrey's face. But yes. that's, that's what I, I was thinking. That. Too. <laughs> but also the fact that like at the end where the two of them are sitting together the camera pans over and again this is one of those we literally only have the budget for one glass coffin so we can't properly smash it she appears to have only smashed like a you know about a foot width of the glass coffin and pull Aubrey out through it somehow <laughs> which true. is again one of those remarkable kind of production moments yeah. where it's like maybe don't pan over to the glass coffin if you can't afford <laughs> to do that yeah, it is the Dakota smash. <laughs> yeah. is, it's Chekhov's robot fist, mm. which I quite like. And again, part of me wonders if I may be giving the movie a bit too much credit here, right? And again, this is one of the things I routinely do where I'm like, is there a way to look at this movie and say, maybe I've got it wrong. Maybe it isn't a terrible movie. Maybe it's a masterpiece that I'm just not capable of comprehending. And it's like, so I look at it and I try and line things up and I'm like, maybe maybe this is a movie about Lindsay Lohan and about the press's relationship with Lindsay Lohan and the desire that we have to kind of cut up and sort of like dissect and torture these young female artists. They knew for that own. though. It seems very prescient. Like I think they <laughs> were realizing that as the movie was going on, yeah. <laughs> like as they were shooting it. Yeah. Oh, it may, maybe it was maybe kind of like early like first couple of days into they were like let's let's do a rewrite yeah. let's well, make the, the movie the, about the, this instead. even the shot of like the little leg where she checks the charge on her leg as she's leaving the gate that always kind of reminds me of like ankle monitor that always it looks like an okay, ankle monitor yeah. shot because it's like she's trying to mm. she's trying to sneak out but before she does she wants to check the device on her leg and see what that says and again you had reports at the time that when Lowen was checked out of rehab she would have an ankle bracelet on as per court orders to ensure that she was not going anywhere she was not supposed to um and she was also going sober at that point as well and struggling with that as it was going on but i mean even in terms of things like the kind of the divide that exists between aubrey who is and again when it's interesting when you mention aubrey because you're right that it's not quite virgin whore because there's a moment where she's having conversation with her friends and he says she says something like i'm done sleeping with guys i don't love which implies that she does have sexual experience she's just not having sex with this particular boyfriend which Mm. is she yeah i mean she could be talking about mr jervis 
Or, sorry, she said specifically having sex, not sleeping. Okay. <laughs> oh, good yeah, point, okay. actually. I've done sleeping with people I don't love. Um, sorry, Mr. Jervis. That's the real disappointing stuff. I don't like her cat either. <laughs> yeah, but you, yeah, the, the, cat, the cat is very, very odd. But yeah. I mean, even, even in terms of that, so the way in which kind of like you have the idea, the presentation of her as this almost like Disney princess sort of like virtue model to kind of like dress conservatively, glasses on. She's got a bright future ahead of her. She's the right side of the tracks. We're sending all of the right me- messages she's you know playing piano she won a young artist of the year award going in there it's you very know, important it's very very important this generic award that nobody for has even jumped on to sponsor that award <laughs> just young artists yeah. of the year but it's just generic it's not even like the new Salem young yeah. artists or the artsies if you will yeah um, it's the young artist award so, thank you very much it sounds like so, such a placeholder when you hear it yeah. it's like oh, yeah. but you're the young artist of the year we'll fix that in post <laughs> yeah. um, but again and you have that juxtaposed with Dakota who is arguably much more along the lines of the Loan who was appearing in the press who was the one who was getting drunk who was kind of being video snorting cocaine who was unreliable or seen as being unreliable or seen as being sort of inverted commas damaged goods and you know the idea that this is how we treat our kind of female celebrities and that's who have to everything yeah. <laughs> thank you Andrew um, but if yeah. that was the case well then not have made it more transparent because this movie isn't actually a whodunit it's the it's a what the f*** is going on yeah that's because only the last 20 minutes does actually focus on who killed her do you spend the rest of the time going Oh, are they the same person? Are they not? Are yeah, she not yeah. it doesn't are matter they ghosts? who. Are they aliens? Are they in different dimensions? Yeah. yeah. Are we all dead? And also, yeah, what this is 2007 where robot limbs are the future. Mm. It is just kind of casually dropped in there, uh, which is one of those great things. Like you half imagine her to get out into a flying car with no explanation but whatsoever. But they still have flip phones. <laughs> Robot limbs, but still flip phones. Um, but again, like this, this kind of gets into kind of the interesting stuff, though, because I mean, again, you have this idea of kind of women suffering for pleasure and stuff like that, and the idea that you know that the FBI profile. And by the way, I love the, the Greg Itzan moment, the moment where you know they're you know where the Spencer Garrett FBI agent is like she's lying, and uh, Greg Itzan, oh, <laughs> yes, it's like yeah, she's not that. lying, she's. And then writes the word delusional in block caps on the screen, which I kind of adore from his tablet. But the best part of that is that... That when is it, actually quite tabloidian, the, the delusion over yeah. her face, all right? Yeah. And, and not only that, but when they cut back to Greg Itzan and then they cut back to Spencer Garrett again, he's underlined delusional twice, which is another lovely little that, touch as well. Yeah, that was the second, in the, mo- the second part of the movie, along with the stigmata video section, <laughs> where, where I remembered it when I was thinking, is this... One of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> Where, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, but it, 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 like you want bonkers stuff like that, but then you think kind of like, oh, this is nuts. Like this is not good. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, this is this is kind of interesting in terms of like. Even if you look at, say, the soundtrack to the movie, right? The soundtrack to the movie kind of gets at that schizophrenic sort of thing. Really that you're weird music for the sex scene. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, again, the, the sex scene feels like something that was added in post where they're like, this is weird and uncomfortable. We want it to be weird and uncomfortable and funny, please. Can you make that happen? Yeah, but they didn't need it. They could have just been them going upstairs and then the scene afterwards where she's like, you know, does does Aubrey f*** you like that or whatever she said? Aubrey ever f*** you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. um, I can say swear words now because I'm an adult. <laughs> well, no, it, I thought I thought it was great because you're cutting them um, them having sex with her. like Her mother cl- turning the, the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. And not moving to another part of the house. <laughs> and cleaning parts of the sink that were already clean. <laughs> it's just inefficient, really. 
<laughs> it does feel very much like a sublimation it's scene. so dirty. <laughs> well, it, does, it kind of has that uh, Hitchcock moment, like of a train going through a tunnel, where you're like the close-up of the sponge rubbing the side of the um, yeah. of the sink. But um, more in terms of you things like... sex is. <laughs> what? <Sorry. laughs> but again, this is the Hitchcock stuff, because you have the soundtrack leans rather heavily. For the first half of the movie, it's very Bernard Herrmann-esque, where you've got the kind of the, the strings, the, the kind of psycho strings, of the, mm. you know, the... violin sounds uncomfortable yeah and then you get towards the climax and it's like 100% happened in Vertigo didn't it the train going into the that was North by Northwest oh North by Northwest yes no I didn't just randomly pick the example no no, I was just thinking of that again and how hilarious it was what do I think sex is I think sex is that thing from an Alfred Hitchcock movie it's like you know like a sponge against the sink yeah well the rubbing motion the back and forth motion anyway never mind I feel like we probably dwell on this a bit too much Um, but also even like and then when you get to the climax though the music changes and it stops being this kind of Bernard Herman string yeah. section and it starts being you know the science lamb score the kind of the bit where the kind of like the rising orchestra and the kind of like there's the sound of kind of like the the harmony coming together and it's like what movie is this? Even the soundtrack doesn't know what the film is from scene to scene, which is absolutely fascinating. But when she turns to her dad and goes, I know who killed me. Yes. That is a jubilant moment. Yes. Like, yeah. yeah, there we go. <laughs> you said the title. <laughs> We're done. Wrap it up here. <laughs> We've got enough footage for a trailer now. <laughs> when did you think it was the piano teacher? Um, The moment... When he's playing the piano with no hand, with one hand. After you've seen his face, after the big reveal, after they've gone to his house. Because I'm guessing we're supposed to know once she pulls up the the ribbon that says Douglas, but we don't know that the piano teacher. He's never been mentioned Douglas. Nobody's ever called him Douglas. So I was like, I think it's the piano teacher. And then just before the piano scene, I see the ring the finger the severed hand with the ring on it in, in, a, in a bowl of ice and I was like there's the ring again I saw it. the piano teacher I mean again this is the thing where it doesn't earn its kind of setups where it's like the blue and the red divide running through the film right and yeah. it's kind of like watching it I'm like so is blue the colour of sexual repression is that why Aubrey's blue and is red the colour of like blood and kind of like heartbeat and kind of life and that's why Dakota's red and then at the end you get the no Aubrey always gets a blue ribbon. Don't settle for red. And I'm like, is, is that a thing? Are like ribbons for first place blue and ribbons for second place red? Is that like a standard that I missed? Yeah. Or is that something the movie... I was told movie... they were all red. <laughs> <laughs> I was told they were out of ribbon. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, like, is that, is that a, like, it feels like the movie kind of assumes that you know that or that like it's, or it's a common thing. And yeah, I had forgotten that that was the symbolism of the blue and the red. I remember the blue and red. And there was a scene where she's in the back of the police car and the light of the police car is flashing off the screen. So it's blue and red and blue and red. And you're, like, I was like, oh, maybe this is why that's the way they chose the colours. And then the payoff came with the, well, what is it? A ribbon. There's yeah. a better name for that, but I can't remember what it is. And um, yeah, I was like, oh, 
That's disappointing. And did they even say that at the start of the movie? No. I don't think so. No, no he didn't say you won a blue ribbon at the Young Artist Awards. You no. won the Young Artist Award. And the new Young Artist Award's coming up. But and he, Aubrey and Jennifer Tolan both had a blue trophy. Yeah. And that's the thing. Is where, like, And again, this is the right. thing where the movie... This is how the but movie... But I didn't think that it was... They, like, it, it, the, the, that's... This is what the movie considers to be foreshadowing. Is the sequences mm. where... And again, it's kind of amazing where Dakota almost reaches for a trophy twice. Yeah. That's it. Like, that's the proper setup as far as the movie's concerned. The audience should be able to figure out what? from a half-limbs trophy twice what? that it's the piano teacher. Why is she trying to win it again? Isn't it enough that she's won it once that he's going to uh, kill her? Does he kill people when they stop... Um Playing piano? Uh, playing piano I for guess him? So. It does seem like a bit of an oversight on the part of the FBI. Like, it does feel like, you know, basic victim profiling would have maybe brought something yeah, like that back. all those women who died former piano players with him? Yeah. <laughs> I guess again, so. He just keeps or, having or openings in his schedule. Some other, in, in some other um, like, category, like glass sculpting, for example, <laughs> yeah. or limb design, prosthetic oh, yeah. limb design. It doesn't matter what you're good at. He just encourages. <laughs> Once you give up on your dream, <laughs> yeah. he will kill you. <laughs> He's a very inspirational, like Saul. He's like the serial killer from Saul, where there's a moral dimension to what he's doing. Where it's like, as soon as you sell for being second, you might as well lose your limbs. I have two questions about him. First of all is, is he in the strip club? Is he not curious why Aubrey is stripping? Because surely he doesn't know that they're twins. Maybe that's what he thinks he's giving a piano for. Okay, that's a reasonable answer. Really? To the scenario, yeah. I mean, it's better than what I have, isn't that? That it's a plot hole. <laughs> and the other thing is, I think he should have been more confused that he just buried a girl and then she chopped his hand off. He takes it kind of in his. He takes it in his stride. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna have it's to like, do it again. <laughs> it's like that's the bad thing. Yes. It's like, how the f- are you here? Like, I'm so you should confused. be dead by now. <laughs> yeah. Not You're wearing cutting my clothes. head off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, I, and I have to do the whole thing all over again. I can't yeah. just bury you. It's like, is that not why you're doing this? Is yeah. you don't enjoy it? Yeah. Well, I, mean, I kind of love that the, the, the FBI profile is that no, he doesn't really enjoy killing them. He just enjoys punishing them. Yeah. Well, I guess and he, then he's at the he, end, he's like, I'm going to have to punish you again. He killed Dennis like straight away because I guess that's not part of his thing. Like, yeah. But Dennis wasn't good at anything. Yeah. Like, yeah. Dennis, Daniel? Dennis did, Daniel, Daniel, sorry. Dan, sorry. Daniel yeah. didn't have a dream that he gave up on. It's like, yeah. Yeah, no, he it was just kind of killed him because he was kind of in the way, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Uh, good old Neil McDonough, by the yeah. way. Um, how did how did he how did he kill Daniel so hard? When he when he well? died, he was really Neil McDonough. <laughs> yeah. uh, ah. Thank you. Um, sorry, what you said? How did he kill Daniel? Because there is yeah, he's like Daniel's lying on the thing with the yeah. blood. Is that Daniel's hmm. blood or is I feel that like Daniel should have been so. able to kill him? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's see, got sneaked up upon. Yeah, like the the there. But then laid out and, up on his house. Yeah. Yeah. But then kind of laid out as well and kind of left with a thing over him, but not dead, so we can have but that. That's final a red because you, you're expecting that to be um Aubrey under this. But you've already seen Aubrey in the coffin of that. But, 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 <laughs> um, <laughs> like I said, this movie can go anywhere. So you really <laughs> you to expect whatever you want. <laughs> There's a third one. <laughs> have you seen uh, Simple Favor actually? No. Okay, I recommend a simple favor. Okay. Um but yeah, no, basically, yeah, it could be absolutely anything. Is it we're talking very, very briefly about the movie as a body horror, because this is what really took me by not body horror, torture porn. Okay. Yeah. What, what took me by surprise about this, because I 
didn't know that much about it going in. I did research on it, and so I kind of you I, knew, I, knew the twin aspects. I knew the twin aspects, the colors, of, as well. and the colors. Those yeah. are the two things that came up mm. very, very much in reviews. What surprised me watching it was the level of graphic violence in it, because I kind of assumed from the title "I Know Who Killed Me" it was going to be something similar to remember that Al Pacino movie where he's poisoned and has to solve his own murder or yeah. something like that. I kind of imagine it was going to be. I know what you did last summer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's also, yeah, that, that's a much better frame of reference for 2007. But again, I, it kind of took me by surprise how graphic it was. Things mm, like the yeah. freezing of the fingers and the, the and level they, of detail that it puts into sawing. And but they, I think, sorry to no, no, you, I did look at that being like, is this not like the antithesis of Jaws? Have they not shown the monster and what he does too early yeah. that you're like you kind of know what's going on yes it was uncomfortable viewing and because we had to watch it twice because the internet <laughs> shut down it was like oh great I've watched this scene again but I was kind of like I think it's better to not tell us what he's doing yeah, get the, the coroner or one of those other extra characters you didn't need to be like oh he does this and that's yeah, they also people. do that yeah. <laughs> like, there's that, no redundancy that, here it's like for so, a movie that's so ambiguous and vague it's very much wants you to know what he's doing in yeah. great detail which it's is so true odd. actually because in Jaws you have a whole lot of people kind of like you know looking away and kind of getting sick and and, and, and that sort of thing rather than rather than the the straight away showing. showing yeah yeah and well, he also does it in such a systematic way you're like is that just ice? Is well, like what is he? Put, he's clamping ice up above her hand, and it's just you're kind of like, okay, this is almost I, too clinical, and it just it's a bit. Strange. I think it should have been more clinical. I think they needed to have one of those beef nappies, like you have, you know, in in the uh, pack of meat that you get in the supermarket. There's a little bit of yeah. of like a nappy between the the plastic. Where's that going? And, in and the meat <laughs> that that would go between her hand and the ice block, so that it's not sticking to the ice block. I think it's sticking though is part of the point for the body horror because mm. and that the torture porn because again this is worth noting this is a so he he can't use those ice blocks again because they don't look all nice and white he 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 just melts them them and freezes them again steals the water (laughs) (laughs) clearly this is all explained (laughs) 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 he's also an environmentalist in his spare time as well on top of being a prosthetic limb expert a piano teacher he never surprised he doesn't use piano wire it feels like such a does he though does he not um, oh wait no she does yeah she kind of uses some sort of like uh, wire to to cut her own fingers off, which, by the way, it's kind of uh, what, and tries what to it, stitch her, her finger back on. Yes, yeah, so her gangrenous finger. Was duct tape. Yeah. <laughs> she, she, <laughs> no, she, she duct tapes it to the table and then tries to sew it on oh, with a right. hook. Which again is because because hospitals are for rich people. Yeah, um, yeah. Lot, I mean, you know. Well, that was a comment on you know the healthcare in the US. Yeah, clearly a very very pointed bit of sociological mm, yeah. commentary. Really takes it all in her stride as well. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? Oh, I I cut my finger on glass yeah it's because she was a kicker you know right but yeah. she wasn't a kicker which like that, that's, that's the thing that really gets me about the structuring of those oh, two yeah. scenes together because it's julia orman's like big she's moment talking about her the, dead baby yeah. <laughs> that's a, the, the, the kicker is dead oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's this big moment where julia ormond and dakota bond and it's like instead actually it's just this story about how julia ormond's baby was really strong and then died yeah. um and this stranger she's talking to yeah no it is it's a really dark and weird moment mm. particularly when it's positioned the way that it is and the shot of daniel kind of lurking in the background going yeah. you know again I? that's like okay the dad's the Maybe, killer. yeah that's yeah. exactly as opposed to being anyone for mimosas yeah, <laughs> yeah. i thought it would have been so great if you had hey 
<laughs> he just came out of there after lurking for and like also, five minutes. There was no minutes. reason for him not to tell the mum about the baby dying at that point. No, that's probably a fair point of that. Like, also because he know, like he knows, like he he knows. Logically, he must have a pretty good idea of what's going on. It's like, well, I did buy one half of a set of twins, um, and crack all of us <laughs> crack twins, and all of a, <laughs> and all of a sudden, this woman shown up claiming to be my daughter. Sorry, claiming not to be my daughter, but who looks just like my daughter. Yes, exactly. What could it possibly Maybe. be? It was very quick thinking. <laughs> Right away, and and she can give up the stripping. She goes work for the police. I no, mean, like that. I, 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 no, you mean her realization or Daniel's yeah. moment of my baby's oh, no, dead? Her realization. Baby. She puts one and one together when she has nothing. She has zeros. <laughs> she has like yeah, she, she has an envelope with a new Salem postmark on that, it that she saw when her mom died one, a year ago. <laughs> yeah. Eleven dollars and the the. the her, I wonder, did that... $11 was, has to be two ones, right? Two, two individual ah, digits. Very good. Ah. Ah. I think he cracked it. <laughs> I wonder, that nurse who, who, um, who's there when she wakes up, I wonder, is that the nurse who was bribed at the, uh, when, when she was born? Oh, when Daniel so, wanted to buy a baby. Yeah, yeah. I was looking at the credits there when we were setting up for the podcast. That nurse had a full first and last name. Like the amount of characters in this, like oh, wow. attention like, to detail, they yeah. had There's probably more to her. They had, <laughs> I'd say, crushed. they were like, we need a certain number of quota of extras in this movie. We need a nurse. Let's give the nurse a talking role. Like it's very confusing who you are to. Yeah, as a main to, ca- yeah. Like I mean, because again, it's worth noting the final appearance of the two FBI agents is them saying the DNA results are inconclusive. And that's it. That's apparently their job done for the rest of the movie. It's like, well, I guess our work here is done. I guess we. I is guess that we after the scene in the house when he's asked for the condom. No, because they're not. That's not Spencer Garrett and the okay. other one. Um, that's just random FBI agents. The two FBI agents running the case. Their last appearance. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you want to know what the DNA test says? Inconclusive. Um, and it's like, well, I guess our job here is done. <laughs> and we got to clear out because bingo night's coming. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, and again, this is one of the things where the movie, like, admittedly, Lohan created problems for the film's production and stuff like that. But the movie's very slapdashedly put together. Where you have that sequence where they're searching for Aubrey. Uh, where they're marching across, as you yeah. point out, one, one file. Like, yeah. <laughs> covering a very narrow stretch of ground, but in a very clear straight line. But, like... They have, they cut from, they move across the board with all the names, details, and kind of detached limb photos on there. And then they cut to them walking across the ground. And then they come back to the boards again, which you have just seen. So Spencer Garrett can walk into the scene with a cup of coffee and say, well, I hope we don't disrupt bingo night. Take a sip of coffee. And the scene ends. But even the detail that the police station was too small and they had to move to the town hall is yeah. like unnecessary. Yeah. I uh-huh. have a lot of x-rays as well. Yeah. Well, this, Which is, uh, yeah. Well, this is the thing. And again, this kind of gets at one of the things that I found kind of interesting in terms of its use of kind of torture porn, right? Because mm. torture porn, the genre came into prominence after the Iraq war. Um, after, okay. say, Hostel was one of the Eli movies. Eli Roth. <clears throat> Eli Roth pushes the four with Hostel. This would have been released around the same time as, yeah. as Hostel 2. Saw around the same time. The Saw franchise at the time was the highest grossing horror movie of all, uh, horror movie franchise of all time. It was very much kind of where pop culture was at. Mm. And there's a sense watching this of it almost being kind of a cash-in on that like because 
I mentioned that I didn't think going into it it was going to be as torture porny as it was. No. With the ice block and the peeling of the, the skin off the finger. I know I'm gesturing for this. I was kind of confused as well. It felt like it, it ought like like it didn't really kind of uh, meld no yeah. yeah i mean and this is the thing where you're talking about like um kian mentioned a moment ago the, the sequence where the nurse and her mother are arguing over the photos like in most crime movies or kind of shows you generally don't see that much of those photos or you see extreme close-ups of those photos here you see actual like dis- shots of nude women in those photos which is very weird and uncomfortable yeah. it feels like a weird detail to include which is like here's a naked woman's body here's a naked woman's body being taken apart and it's very much kind of very weirdly kind of invested in that it feels like an element that was maybe pushed up in post-production or something to maybe get it to compete there's a sense of like you know well this is what's hot right now it doesn't matter that you're trying to do like a david lynch or a kind of a you know alfred hitchcock pastiche yeah what we're actually going to do is we're going to try and force this into the mold of something like saul for example where we're going to have these intensely detailed shots of her sewing her finger back together but that was the main horror element of it was the torture porn like there was a bit where she's standing at the the bus stop and the creepy figure is you know closer and closer and closer even though he's you know he's appearing supernaturally closer as well yeah like between shots kind of cutting transitions and cuts and fades and stuff like that Um, and I do love the guy on the bus where she's like you know you need to hold it above your heart and she's like aren't you gonna ask me and his response is sometimes you get cut that's life Um, and it's like this is the world in which the film Mm. operates there's a moment where it cuts to a flashback even though it doesn't tell you it's a flashback yes and she it's when Aubrey's finger is getting cut off. So then Dakota is feeling the, the effect of Aubrey's finger getting cut off. But she's wearing these gloves because she's doing a dance. And she's trying to pull off her glove by the fingers, which I mean, why would you do that? <laughs> Especially My fingers are so glove yeah. up beyond her elbow. Like yeah. trying to pull Roll it down. The amount of friction against her skin. Like you don't have to give that a good reef and you're in pain from one of your fingers. Um, but yeah, once you once it comes off, the whole finger is black and there's a lot of close-up on it. And yeah, it is that it's real sort of bounces. visceral. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of bounces. And even the bit where she's in the shower and you get the insert shot of the finger being kind of torn and stuff like yeah. that. It's and like again. one of those very bad strip clubs. It's <laughs> 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 on bloody fingers. It's just like yeah. health and safety. Yeah. I did love, by the way, the, the kind of strip club manager with the cigarette constantly drooping out of her mouth. Again, felt like kind of a knockoff of a Lynch character. Um, but again, like it, it's, it's shots like that. And the fact that they're all in inserts the fact that a lot of the shots are kind of close up and wouldn't have required lohan to be around so yeah. you, you have some shots of her sewing the trying to sew the finger back together obviously but a lot of the shots will say the finger splitting in the shower the graphic elements of that are kind of out of shot of lohan mm. so there's a sense that they could have been added in post and it's really really strange and also the the flashback stuff because i watching that i didn't realize that sequence was a flashback because it was the two of them having sex and then she's at the, the nightclub or the, the strip club. And I'm like, wait, is she, she back? Went, that's the robot arm. Yeah. Yeah, I did exactly because I thought it was I thought it was the present. And it's like, this feels like the kind of movie where they could cut from her having sex with her boyfriend to her being back working at the strip club again for some reason. But the thing is, they don't cut straight away. There's a transition shot of her in the shower, which yeah. makes sense after having I mean, sex. Yes, yeah, that's it exactly. And she's in the shower and then she starts kind of like feeling yeah. the, the hand. And again, this is the thing where, this is where the movie's sort of structure becomes a problem because the movie seemingly wants you to possibly believe psychiatrist who appears for 10 minutes played by Greg Itzan, who's like, she's, delusional and i've underlined the word delusional Mm. twice so you know it's important (laughs) yeah so like you can't reveal that albury is alive 
in the present tense. You have to have the torture porn in flashback. So you have to like open with Dakota after kind of like, you know, after the leg has been amputated and after the hand has been cut off or whatever, because then the audience can believe that actually Aubrey's having this post-traumatic stress reaction. She's in a kind of a fugue state. She's disassociating from herself or whatever. But like it causes problems in terms of plot because then you're like, the FBI agents have just told you the part the serial killer enjoys is the dismemberment. Well, so, the only member of the FBI who speaks sense is the female yeah. Yeah. woman. Because she goes, I think she's, I don't think any of that's true. I think she isn't telling us the truth because she doesn't think we'll believe it. Which subsequently turns out to be the case because if she goes, I was dancing and my finger fell off, nobody would believe it. Yeah. So you are fed a multiple of narratives, even from the police that you're like, I still don't know which one I'm grabbing <laughs> onto here. But, but the film kind of wants, wants to... wants pre- to believe. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's it exactly. But the film tries to preserve that sense of kind of surprise by yeah. kind of like, by not tipping its hand. By not revealing that Aubrey is actually alive in the present mm. tense until... So, like, there's a sense in which those flashbacks, you could read them if you wanted to as, like, you know, inter- interpreting the pain that she experienced into this narrative she's constructed. So, like, that means, though, the serial killer kind of stops. Like, he doesn't do anything to Aubrey for the couple of days that Dakota's recovering. Yeah. Because her body doesn't experience Definitely anything. a couple of days. Yeah, no, there's... there's, there's... There's about 17 days that she's been kept there. Yeah. It's a very long movie. (laughs) (laughs) I also wonder who is in power of the two twins. Like, so Aubrey's finger gets cut off. Dakota experiences it. Aubrey runs out of air. Dakota doesn't run out of air. So Dakota gives air to Aubrey, who doesn't suffocate. She says deep breaths. Does that kind of imply more that it's like Dakota's experiencing Aubrey's like suffocation? That's what I understand. Is she saying to herself? Because they both say when they, when you get that split screen of the blue and the red, which is like, in case you don't get the kind of color separation that we're doing here. Is it that, is it that like, Dakota's reading that and Aubrey's saying it. Yeah, what is the relationship between the two? It's it's confusing and, and who is in control. Because I think there's moments there where Aubrey... Does Aubrey grow back a finger? Or, I can't remember. I can't. It's confusing. Who, who Which body takes precedent over whose? Does Aubrey take crack? Or no? She's yeah. not... She, oh, no, she's... Dakota's uh, mom. No, Dakota's mom. Does Dakota... Do they not imply that she's on heroin as well? Oh, they do, yeah. yeah. In the, Was it Fatina? Or sorry, is that that's not Fatina? There, there was somebody in the uh, in the credits called Fatina, but I don't think it's Fatina in the strip club. I mean, it could be. We are never could given any, no, <laughs> never no. given any real context or <laughs> explanation for this. Um, in terms of the movie, is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything else you want to discuss? Anything that we haven't discussed already with regards to the film? No, I don't think so. Other than like, it's just it's very confusing, and it does have. And like notably good eye for detail in some regards, like I said before, and like when you watch again, like the amount of blue things and you know the blue roses you see straight at the, straight from the start. The boyfriend gives her a blue rose, and you're like, oh okay, this is this Killer. is foreshadowing. I, I, lo- I love the idea that like the, when the when the uh, psychiatrist is writing, he writes the profile of Aubrey in, in blue, blue pen. pen and the profile of Dakota in red pen. And I was like, I, I see what you're doing, movie. <laughs> yeah. I see what you're but doing. But then. There's also, whoever was the eye for detail wasn't around the day of the final because then there's a blue rose in the coffin with Aubrey and you're like, well, what's the relationship of blue roses to the killer? So I don't understand that. Yeah. Yeah, well, he has a, a blue ring. Yeah, but why the blue rose? 
thought the blue rose is what the boyfriend gets Aubrey he also has a blue zoot suit <laughs> and, a, and blue paint for his yeah. face as well apparently <laughs> it does seem like he's, she's been menaced by the blue man group to be absolutely so is the boyfriend related to the piano yeah. teacher Eiffel 65 <laughs> 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 wait, wait, you're missing the moment where like he plays Eiffel 65 on the piano and blew my house with the blue little window <laughs> definitely um it's actually worth noting uh, in terms that, of... That is how that song should go. Uh, with, like, <laughs> be ended that... by being stabbed like in the penis and then in the neck. <laughs> and his, his death face. Yeah, oh, he has a really somber death moment where I guess... I, uh, do you feel sorry for him? No. <laughs> <laughs> it becomes so meant? comical it, in that moment. So, his face like he walks of... away like it's supposed to be sad. Well, that, uh, like, again... Sorry. Sorry, this, nope. is, this is probably one where I'm reading far too much into it. But it's like, you know, the way that the film is so obsessed with sex and sexuality. It's like his death O face because it kind of his face bends and oh, it's, okay. his mouth goes kind of a guy, his eyes widen. And it's like, this is the moment, you know, he's being penetrated this time sort of stuff. You know, it's it's very. And again, obviously with knives and stuff, by the way. He obviously makes really good knives because that sequence where Dakota just cuts through his hand, which is easier than I've cut through some beef in my life. Like, yeah, to... you could put that on QVC. Yeah, and, that was um, an axe, wasn't it? Like this perfectly sculpted axe. I thought she cuts through. And she kind of saws around it. Though. It's more of like a sawing motion around his. his hand. Does she not pick up the axe off oh. the ground? Remember, it's, it's like a, a semi-circular oh, okay. axe, and yeah. then she hides right. and she attacks it. Yeah. Yes, yeah. 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 yeah, I think she uses a sawing motion, but it's an it's an axe yeah. rather than a knife that she uses. Oh yes, it has a little kind of string tied around yeah. the yeah, handle. The handle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which again, very very bespoke design. You know, obviously he didn't get any red ribbons for his blue torture implement collection. Um, it is worth noting, actually, in terms of kind of the movie's production development, in terms of like a larger context, um, there was some debate around this time about the treatment of, and to be fair, it's a debate that's ongoing, but around women in media and kind of torture yeah. porn in particular, and the fascination with kind of the mainstreaming of kind of the torturing of women and the, the focus on women's body in torture. Now, obviously, this has long been a part of horror cinema, you know, going mm-hmm. back to stuff like Cannibal Holocaust and stuff like that, going back to the 70s, Last House on the Le- on the Left by Wes Craven, for example. But like, it felt like in the early 2000s, there was a lot of more mainstreaming of that, a lot more coverage of the mainstreaming of that. So to pick an example, um, the Washington Post described the television season of 2005 with Criminal Minds and CSI as the season of Die Women Die. Um, but even like around the time this was released, the uh, Roland Jotha movie, uh, which is Captivity, starring uh, Alicia Cuthbert from 24, uh, which famously had a billboard that ran through four stages, which were Captivity, Torment, Torture and Death. Uh, in which Elijah Cuthbert was revealed in those four stages, which sparked a wave of protests uh, around the country as well. Um, things like the way in which this movie promoted itself, um, promoted itself with a series of video blogs from the serial killer. Okay. Um, so like there was footage of women kind of crying and screaming released online, very much kind of to capitalize on the Thanks. Blair Witch effect. This movie in particular, this is how they sold it. Um, we'll include some of them in the show notes as well. It's kind of interesting. And again, this is the same year that uh, Planet Terror was released, actually, as well, if you want to draw connections there. And even, say, Death Proof, which, again, has a similar kind of mainstreaming of, like, the body modification of Rose McGowan, where her leg is chopped off and replaced with a machine gun. But even if you look at, say, Quentin Tarantino's Death Proof, where that, a lot of that hinges on the dismemberment of, of young women as well for the gratification of Stuntman Mike. It's kind of interesting that all this kind of, like, happened in the mainstream around yeah. the same time, where you have this movie where it doesn't need to, like, structurally speaking, as you pointed out, you could just leave what the serial killer does vague. There's absolutely no reason. He's not even a character. He doesn't have any motivation. No. You never find out that he's And you don't even because... care after yeah. a certain point who he is. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, like, he's he's set up obligatory in the opening sequence. I think it was Roger Eber pointed out he guessed the serial killer from the opening scene just because of the law of conservation of character. It's like, he's the only character who's introduced who has no reason to be there. Because even the gardener... I would argue that there's plenty of characters <laughs> in the, the nurse. There. Yeah, fair point. But even the gardener's there to be kind of sexualized and to symbolize, like, sexual awakening. Yeah. The piano teacher's there... For no reason whatsoever, which kind of makes him coming back at the end a bit obvious. But he's entirely absent for most of the movie. And you never get like a, well, he's he's been back and forth between foster homes or his father never loved him. Or we've got records of him writing love poetry and pig blooders. You know, the kind of like, yeah. even the rudimentary CSI stuff. A house full of uh, doll clothes. <laughs> yeah, prosthetic yeah. limbs. Uh, yeah, he supplies the oh, hospital. Yeah, like, yeah. They, they, oh, prosthetic limbs there. There we go. <laughs> yeah. you know, like Dakota walk into a ring shop going, I once sold a blue ring to a very suspicious looking man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like there's no actual police work involved, but it, the film is so fixated on what he does not why he does it but what he does and how he does it mm. in a way that is kind of strange in the context of a movie that as you point out a lot of it is are they are they twins is she having a psychotic break is this like a psychosexual drama that's kind of a find that element of it and actually weird. the police care about who the killer is but the audience don't the audience yeah. are like what's going on here the police are only focused on the killer yeah. yeah I I thought that was much more compelling this kind of idea of of uh, this woman who 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 has had this traumatic episode, who is now kind of this 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 new kind of person who's kind of like you know sexually uninhibited and kind of acting out and cursing and smoking and um, yeah yeah. And again, the, the idea, and I think it was the the Film Freak Central review made a point that there's something uncomfortable in the way that the film. Almost in a, in a way that reminds it's a lot of contemporary American horror where it tries to have it both ways, where it wants to have that flagrant kind of sexualization and the idea of sexual trauma, but without actually exploring the implications of that. So the serial killer's behaviors aren't sexual whatsoever, but her response to them is. And there's kind of like a push and pull between the two that is... The only of- sort of expression of sexual trauma is when... Dakota is talking to herself in the mirror trying to be Aubrey and she says I've never sold my body to sweaty men for money yeah. like that implies there's mm, been some yeah. sexual trauma yeah. right. that's the only sort of mention I can think of yeah and there's a sense of like the film kind of gesturing at that but not developing it and mm. kind of like ha- trying to have its cake and eat it in a weird way I think is... that's probably marketing reasons though is it to yeah. keep the for the 12s on or 15 I don't know the or kids. The, the, the rating as well yeah, yeah. Well, I mean um, yeah there, there, there is although to be fair it does feature a lot of, of nudity there um, but uh, yeah, so I think that about wraps it up. Unless, do we have anything else we want to talk about? Do you want to do your ratings? Let's do the ratings. I'll, I'll rate it again based on my, I can't remember exactly, but I mean, my oh. opinion would have changed. Um, so first of all, plot, what are we giving that out of 10? And like, I try and mark it out of not just like, I'm watching a Lindsay Lohan movie, what do I expect the plot to be? Like generally, out, for, out of movies in general, what are you giving the plot out of 10? I'd say like, I have, I have to give it a few points for for kind of uh, the the bonkersness but the they I'd say what maybe yeah, like three is, or four is, I'm going to ask is there anywhere where I'm going to credit its bonkersness that isn't this like I'm, I'm going to give it points for its bonkersness but I need to figure out where to allocate them is plot the <laughs> only place where this can okay. go so you've plot score costume character cinematography acting enjoyability lols per hour feminist so bonkers probably would be plot okay so or let's, enjoyability let's, let's give it like a three then on this then let's yeah i would have said three as well is 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 fair because like even though i really enjoyed it like from a 
I was enthralled to know what happened. If I was to sit down and try to write the plot to you on a piece of paper, best of luck. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. yeah, and I've seen it twice. <laughs> and it, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's um, and so it's full of it's loose not ends. It's kind of all over the place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's so many loose ends. And you wonder, like, was that a problem with the script? Because I think it was written by somebody who's only written one script, or is that a result of the edit and the post production on the movie? Mm. And, and it's I, hard to tell the difference. I think. Yeah, and I think all the work they do to try put in the little details here and there are just undone by too many. Plot holes. That's well, and also just lack of focus as well. Yeah. It's like you know, you know, points for setting up the piano teacher, but negative points for you know setting up the well. Your your limb is going to be on charge, and it's going to be a pain, but that's <laughs> never going to happen. But then also points for setting up Robo Fist. Yeah, um, it's, it's, a, it's a grab bag. Yeah. It's very yeah. yeah. I mean, and and yes, you do use feet for uh, for pianos, but mm. the 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 idea of kind of taking one. Uh, a hand hand off and then one leg um, off is a bit strange yeah. yeah and actually there was a Tarantino style foot shot when she was sitting at her desk remember for no reason right I mean it's also worth noting by the way the sex scene opens with the camera on the f- charging foot just saying okay. just saying <laughs> um, score the soundtrack yeah Oh, I like this. I'll give this a four. Yes, terrible. Uh, <laughs> I, I give it a two. Yeah. Right. I quite uh, like. I quite like the schizophrenic. Like it captures the film's insanity. Mm. The problem with the score, I don't think, is the the you know the songwriter, the kind of composer. No, I, think I do. I do. I do think it's all. Is it just because of the sex music? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the bit that stuck out the most for me because I I, th- I think often in. In movies, kind of a score can be very kind of unintrusive, um, but no, it just really kind of what is what's happening here was was a sense I got. <laughs> yeah, I suppose most of the movies we end up watching through Hilary Duff and Lindsay Lohan have the score of the early noughties of your sort of like Blink One Eight Two and Some Forty One, and they have that sort of. So the movies that normally score high for us are the ones that have like good actual songs, oh, actual them. soundtrack, yeah, like soundtrack drama, songs, yeah. Um, so this one definitely ranks lower. Um, amongst my friends who are watching because they're like no all those songs were horrible but I, I I probably would have said five I now know I probably would rank it low now that you made a point of how the soundtrack veers off crazy towards the end so I think I would have went five originally because even though I didn't enjoy the songs I don't think I was supposed to I think it was supposed yeah. to make me feel uncomfortable and I think I think also to be fair like that schizophrenia is you know a result of the movie rather than the, the composer like it's like well we're doing Hitchcock now give me a Hitchcock sound it's yeah. like okay Bernard Herrmann knockoff coming up it's like okay we're going into the remote cabin with the serial killer maybe do some Science of the Lambs like okay I can do that if you want it feels like it, it you know it wasn't the guy sat down and was like well here's what I've written and the, the director's like Damn it! Now I've got to shoot the climax like Science of the Lambs. Yeah, I feel like it. You know, the cart and the horse sort of situation with the soundtrack. Yeah, and like if they'd just stuck a song by Pink in the middle, I wouldn't have worked. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. Uh, costume design. <laughs> this is what the was like cinematography, where it's like, am I grading for like effort? Am I grading for like you know commitment? Am I because like you know if a solid commitment, like the movie knows what it's doing and it sells it so hard. As we pointed out, the fact that like Dakota is apparently like so so strongly associated with red that she seems to like dye Aubrey's wardrobe and red just by contact. Red. Yeah, yeah, just by by contact. But it's kind of it's all very sort of um um. Uh, 
it all feels kind of like tatty and cheap and like there wasn't much kind of attention uh, kind of made to it. Or that maybe she was just arriving so late that they had no time to kind of... Uh, Do proper wardrobe. Right, right. Um, yeah, because it seems like this was the kind of um, opportunity for... for, for um, to um to kind of show Lindsay Lohan in a in a very kind of like in a like adult kind of risque kind of uh movie and it seems to have been just done in a hurry like yeah, well, yeah. yeah the kind of, it's almost like music video shorthand or she's an adult <laughs> performer now sort of stuff where it's put her in hot pants mm. for example put her in fishnets that sort of stuff I I mean I guess I guess you could say that it's meant to look all kind of grubby and um yeah, but it's it's grubby, but it also looks off a, off the shelf grubby. Like again, like yeah. uh, like that's the problem is that if you're going grubby, go grubby. This looks like well, we went down to the shop yesterday and we picked stuff that was red and on the same yeah rack. pennies. Yeah, Penny. that's what it's yeah. the the area this falls down for me because the rest of the movie, like I don't see anybody. I think they wouldn't wear that. I think like for you know a normal girl living in a normal neighborhood, she wears what she should be wearing. For a stripper, though, like. Mm. She is so unattractive as a, as yeah. a in what she's wearing, and she's and not. She's not an unattractive uh, kind of girl. No. no, she's not. And I mean, if they're going for unattractive stripper, then fine. But then don't have her up stripping and getting all this attention because she didn't look hot, and she was getting all the attention as if she did look hot. So that that was the big maybe faux pas for me. Maybe the maybe the other strippers are are, are yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that this She's is the, the only the bad stripper for well, like a hundred miles. Why, that's why the eleven dollars were such a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, so I go for about four. I'd probably go with a three. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'd I I I think um, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd say three, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I know I went with a two, which would if if I'm being consistent, I should give it a two as well across for, the board yeah. for for um for 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 costume because I thought it was at least as bad as the 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 music. The music maybe I'd bump up to a three <laughs> just at a two. Retrospective, yeah. yeah. Um, character development <laughs> one. <laughs> this is low, yeah. yeah. I, 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 I liked the character development um, to the point where I thought that um, that it was the same person, I guess. Oh, and uh, you thought that it was... Uh, yeah, that, that, that this was a, a, a fictional kind of a... Um, construct. That, yeah, like, yeah. A defense mechanism that Aubrey constructed. Exactly. Like, to help yeah. her deal with the trauma. Yeah, yeah. So that was up until like after Art Bell's appearance and after the confrontation with um, I still didn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought she had just be, seen this video and I was like, why are they going so far with this? Yeah. This can't be what the... What yeah. the actual plot of the movie is. Yeah. I do love that Ask.com, by the way. I absolutely love seeing <laughs> Ask it. Jeeves, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yes! Damn it, that no, Jervis was the name of it. I give it a two. The only character that has any sort of development is Lindsay's characters, and they only manage to do that through the red and the blue. Yeah, that's it. What do I do? What What do I give a five? <laughs> <laughs> give it whatever you'd like. <laughs> no judgment here. Um, acting. Now, obviously, coming off the back of watching twelve Hillary Duff movies in a year, the step up to Lindsay Lohan has been 
marked like she's a much better actress than yes. we were used to seeing yeah. and her. I mean to, to be Who, fair to them without fail in a movie will be will make a ah noise like <laughs> someone's offended her oh it's so bad but and, and to be fair to Lowen as well like while she's not a great actress I think that she is generally like quite good hmm. I think that even stuff like when after you know the career is kind of derailed even stuff like say the canyons she's very good in as well I don't think she's great here and again this is one of the things where it's like you know, the test of a good actor, I think she's good when she's given good material. I, and I think that's something that deserves celebration. It's not always easy to be good when you're given good material. But I feel like she's not an actor who can elevate bad material or who can sell yeah. bad material. She's what I mean, great like, actresses do. I, I, I mean, like, you... Even 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 though those movies were good, you didn't like um, some of the movies that Florence Pugh has been in. Yeah. But you love Florence Pugh in yeah, them. Yeah, that sort of thing. Um, Saoirse Ronan... Um, in the host and stuff like that no like in um what was it was it lovely bones yes yes yeah yeah. so a lot of like there were there were people weren't mad about that but everybody was mad about kind of her in it in that as well that's where you can tell that 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 someone's not just that they've got good taste in movies but that they're I mean, even if you look at things like, say, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the next generation. Where right, where Renee Zellweger is great. Yeah, star persona from those two, I think, as well, yeah. Mm. And I don't think that Lowen has that here. And I don't think it's her fault. I think that, you know, again, as you point out, she's really good in stuff like, say, Freaky Friday or Mean Girls. Like, she's very, very good in those. I think she's also very good in The Canyons, which is probably the, the late Lohan film that I kind of have seen or have the most affection for. I don't think she's great here. Um, the supporting cast does, as you point out, doesn't really exist. Yeah. Um, so there's nothing really to grade. It's there. weird because she isn't great, but she's still by far the most believable thing on the screen because yeah. none of the other characters get any sort of time to develop, except maybe the boyfriend, Jared. Yeah. The only sort of Jared time. Pointer. <laughs> is he a terrible person? <laughs> or, or is he? No, no. He I, I guess he's kind point. of fine. And doesn't I mean, he, he cries, but he, he also sees. has sex with what he thinks is his girlfriend in a fugue state. <laughs> no, I, 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 I don't think we can judge him too hard. Oh, the actor. No, the, 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 it's like this is a girl who, 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 uh, who wants to have sex with me. This is like a, a teenage boy. It's like green light, okay. And it's like I'm not sure I'm comfortable with this, with your mum being right here. That being but said, I guess okay. I love that the, the, even the condom wrapper is blue. By the way. Yeah. <laughs> That being said, there was no moments that I was like, oh, come on now. Like, that was awful. Yeah. So I think I, I probably leveled at like a three. Yeah. yeah. I could go three, yeah. Three. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, 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 I'd give her her... Yeah, I, I, I would I would give her low marks for acting. I'd, 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 say, I'd say maybe both her parents were perhaps the... the the performance in this and even they weren't really that great and poor yeah. Julia Ormond like coming off like Legends of the Fall in the 90s where mm. she was and she, you know she was kind of seen as being an actor who could be the next big thing in the 90s and ended up here where your big moment is a speech about how your dead baby has nothing to do with the plot yeah um, or to shout at a police someone about photos that aren't yeah. relevant to the plot yeah and yeah. then Neil McDonough who's kind of and again it's a bottle 100 <laughs> fixture he also pops up in Street Fighter The Legend of Chun-Li Yes. Um, oh, does he? Yes, yes, he what, does. There, there's such a movie. Yes, there are two Street Fighter movies on the bottom 100, um, which is quite something. But again, and also Striking Blue Eyes, and he was in Band of Brothers as well. Yeah, were those blue eyes done in post? No, those are Neil McDonough's real blue eyes. But they were really popping. 
<laughs> really? <right? laughs> but, I mean, one imagines when you put the filter, the blue, already blue oh, filter, true, yeah. on top of Neil McDonough's already they very blue eyes. enhance those blue eyes just for the movie <laughs> that was in it. Because they were trying to enhance that the horror was kind of still with her, because she had went from being mutilated like by the piano teacher to being surrounded by all of these guys in, in like their blue smocks and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and those big, big <laughs> blue, blue eyes, eyes staring yeah. down at her yeah. with the surgical mask on. Um, yeah, so I, yeah. Next was um, LPH, so lols per hour. So, I mean... Are they intentional? Like, that's the question. They don't have to be. No. But also, like, a movie that isn't a comedy can score low. Like, you don't have to recalibrate it because it isn't supposed to be funny. Right. But if you do laugh when you're not supposed to laugh, that will count. Okay. So I'd say there are a solid four laughs per hour. So this is a two-hour movie, so about eight laughs, which is okay. pretty decent, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I'd say some, something similar, all right. I feel like even kind of some of her um, uh, reaction shots, um, which were, like, it wasn't her being a great kind of comedic actress. It was... It was, it was, it was it felt like you were looking at her actually being annoyed. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You mean I've got to do more coverage for this scene? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Fun story, um, by the way, about Lohan. When she was filming, before this, she did a movie called Georgia Rules um, yeah. with um, Felicity Huffman um, and Jane Fonda. Um, it was directed by Gary Marshall, best known for directing Pretty Woman. Gary Marshall! And also, yeah, and also... Please, call me Gary! <laughs> and also, like, uh, he would go on to do Valentine's Day and stuff like that as well. Yeah. Um, it is perhaps notable for being a rare addition to the rape comedy subgenre, in which Lindsay Lohan plays a young girl who was abused by her father, by stepfather played by Carrie Always, but is also a raunchous road trip comedy about three generations of women making their own way in the world. It's a very strange film, to be absolutely clear. But apparently during production of that... Lohan was kind of getting a bit out of control and like there was a moment where they're having difficulty with production she was showing up late Gary Marshall kind of sat her down and she was like look Gary I know what you're going to say I've heard it all before you need me to calm down you need me to stop oh, it's grand I promise I won't go out I'll stop going out on nights so that's like no I want to go out on a night with you and apparently he did ah. so that there there's your kind of hmm. Lindsay Lohan happy at the time but sad in retrospect story yeah. I think yeah with Gary Marshall. With Gary Marshall, apparently. She took him out. Apparently, it was quite the night, uh, according to Gary Marshall. Say so. As, as one might imagine. Whatever began fashion with... drugs you're trying to... <laughs> yeah. It, be- it, began, it began with sushi at seven o'clock, and he has no idea when it ended, even now, which is quite something. Mm. Um, anyway, was, sorry. Was no. Hector Alessandro <laughs> in that movie? He's, a, he's in so many Gary Marshall movies. I don't know, actually. Um, but it is, it's Carrie Elway's Jane Fonda... <laughs> Um, and Felicity Huffman are the other kind of stars of it as well. Oh. It's a very interesting film that has aged in very interesting okay. ways, as you might imagine. Well, anyway, I, anyway we'll do the market, and then yes. I'm going to ask you for your recommendations for the, for the last ten that we should do. I can bring them to the the crew to see which ten okay. we'll, we're, of the Lindsay Lohan movies we can watch. Um, next topic is enjoyability. I'm going to go with a five or a six on this one. Probably the highest grade this movie's going to get, I think. I, I, yeah, I'd put this up to like a seven or an eight. I, I'm, yeah. I'm more at that only because I had to spend it all disbelief and I was like, I just really want to know who killed her. Although... <laughs> <laughs> the movie's made the promise. I just needed to deliver down. I need to see her say that line <laughs> yeah. and then she says it and I fist bump. <laughs> and the camera shot as well, like at the turn of the head. Yeah. I know who killed me. Into, straight into, into Neil McDonough's Deep blue eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Although it is very long. Yeah, yes, yeah. it is actually Which quite long. Which does take away from is the it, it, it was only an hour and a half. Like it was an no, hour. no, it's an hour it and 48 long. minutes, I think. 
Okay. Oh, well, that's not that long, no. I suppose. <laughs> but, but it really did feel long, yeah. But I think that's because the the narrative arc is a cost of... Oh, yeah. yeah. The amount of space it covers. Yeah. Like, the amount of, like, ground it covers. And the fact that it starts slow, I think, is what took me as well. Because mm. I knew about things like the, the robot limbs and things about the colour scheme and stuff like that. Um, and the Stigmata Twins... And, well, I didn't know about the Stigmata Twins, I knew about the Twins. And it was like, for the first 25 minutes, none of that's there. It's just a conventional kind of movie. Because it's, you know, young people, there's sex, they're wandering around small town USA, there's football matches. You know, it's very, there's <laughs> that wonderful camera pan over to the missing persons board. Um, and then like a quick three second shot of, we found one dead body and your press is already talking about serial killers. And then back to boring dissecting in class. At that moment, I think you pointed out where the teacher is like, um, please don't ask any questions. I don't know any details. Now get back to dissecting worms, please. <laughs> no care for the kids in that movie. Yeah. Um, I suppose on the topic of the camera shot, cinematography, what do you give it? And again, this is one of the ones where it's like, do I blame the cinematographer for what he was told to do? Mm. Uh, was he just following orders? The red and the blue and the commitment to that. It's committed. Very committed. Very committed. Yeah. Like it's, it's, but again, it leads to really monstrous places. Like there's moments where when she's wandering around the, the friend's room and you can tell the blue filter is on the camera so hard that it looks almost like she's, you know, the skin looks kind of gray as opposed mm. to kind of light pink. The lips look purple. Like, it looks like Lohan is a walking corpse in those sequences when she's wandering around the room because it's been color corrected. Because obviously they didn't have enough to kind of dress the whole room in blue like they wanted to. So it's really disconcerting, really weird, really distracting. And even things like the scene transitions. There's one scene transition through fire, if yeah. I remember correctly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which serves absolutely no yeah. purpose whatsoever. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go with the two on this one. There was a star wipe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, some of the scenes feel very short. Like, they don't end and you're, you're out of them. Do you know? Yeah. Like, it's just after somebody says a poignant thing and you're out. That being said, what it wasn't as grabbing this time, but I was so obsessed with the blue and the red the first time. I was just so committed to it. And I was, like, sitting here and we were like, I was like, oh, look, that thing there in the background's blue. And that's red. And that's blue. So I, I ended yeah. up giving it, like, a seven the first time because I was just so in, involved in the world. Watch it now with a more knowing what's happening. I was like, oh, that transition was crap. So I'd probably knock it down to maybe about yeah. four. I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. I'd, for for the blue, I'd kick it up to a four. Because, yeah, I definitely tried to do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, he was trying to do something. I will give it credit for that. It's just, maybe don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, two more categories. How feminist was it? This is the one where how much of Darren going to lean into his reading of the film as an intense, ironic commentary on the way in which he can modify women's bodies and the way in which we expect women to be literally divided into virgin and whores so they can be picked apart and dissected by the male press. You know, on those grounds, I mean, clearly it's it's like a very high-rated film. On the other hand, I'm fairly sure the film itself is completely oblivious to any reading on those terms. I'm going to give this, like, a three. Because it's very, very much, while well, you can read that into it if you want, and there is a sense of it being, you can read it almost as a commentary on Lohan herself, it is very much one of those torture porn movies that takes a lot of joy in the suffering of a young woman, presumably for the audience delectation. The way the camera moves over things, the way you get the close-ups of all the dead skin, the shots of her kind of shaking and screaming and sweating and crying, the focus on the gag in her mouth, it's very much like the camera expects us to be enjoying that. Yeah. And I find that really disconcerting and uncomfortable. So even at my most generous, I'm going to give this a three. Oh, see, I probably rank it a bit higher because 
I think that is a fair point. I wouldn't have thought of it that way. But you do see, like, first of all, there's plenty of women characters in it who talk to each other, so it certainly passes the Bechdel test. The main character is, like, the only main character is a woman, and she takes control of her own narrative and she comes back out of a bad situation and she solves the problem. She doesn't rely on men to do it. She overcomes the man in the end and she's triumphant. That's fair. Also, the only sort of cop who has her together is the per- the black woman, yeah. which is a bit of representation as well. So I was like, I'd say about four or five. Yeah, you do, 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 do have quite a bit. Of, I, I suppose it's not, it's not clear... Um, kind of whether it's trying to I suppose celebrate her sexuality or or That's to true, yeah. or to, yeah. to to to, to um, treat it as a as a, a yeah. way of demonstrating because at times broken. they do. Yeah. Like I feel like the the sex, the sex scene, scene in the house is joyful is, to a certain yeah, extent. Yeah. Like, I mean like it's quite playful. kind of uh, positive. Which kind of doesn't or, really track with like the idea that of how traumatized she is and the horror she's yeah. experienced and stuff like that. But it is a moment where the film seems to be saying, Hey, sex is pretty good, isn't it? But yeah, I, yeah. Which is good, which is a nice sex positivity in a slasher movie. And a setup at the, at the start of the movie we're at like a, at a one because we have that divide. But by the end of it I think you do see the women come out better in the movie. Mm. Yeah, so, no, I, 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 so I, I might give it, I might give it maybe a five, oh, maybe a five to a six. Okay. Yeah, 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 six, six. Yeah. And then one of the easiest categories is a percentage of Hillary. <laughs> oh, sorry, for Lindsay, Lindsay, sorry. zero percentage of Lindsay. <laughs> yeah. um, there is a lot. Yeah, there is. It's like a hundred and eighty percent or hundred and ninety percent because it's exactly. like she's in ninety percent of the movie, but twice. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to say one hundred and thirty. Yeah, yeah, yeah like it's, it's, a, it's a good nine. It's over a hundred right? anyway. Yeah. Yeah. She's in two characters. Yeah. Yeah, so. so this scores are great on that one, and then that's it. That's, that's it. Yeah. And it's the most Lindsay as well. Because it, you get to you see get both sides. Of, yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, it's also the most Lindsay because it's very like, much a companion piece to, as you mentioned, Freaky Friday, Just My Luck and The Parent Trap. Mm. It's like torture porn, The Parent Trap, basically. Yeah. It's like somebody watched The Parent Trap and said, this needs scenes of human dissection. Yeah. One, yeah, one of the twins needs to be like a train wreck. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. This is how we can make a more Lindsay Lohan. Yeah. Uh, all right, then I think that about wraps it up then. But before we do, what we normally do is we ask listeners to, we ask, sorry, guests to recommend something for listeners. So something you're enjoying at the moment you'd like to share or point them towards. And I mean, as a Lindsay Lohan expert, as a Hillary Duff expert, actually, given that that's how you position yourself in the podcast, uh, <laughs> is there one that you're most looking forward to on your Lindsay Lohan schedule? Oh, and what was your favorite Hillary Duff film? Well, I have some Mean Girls I'm most looking forward to for, for the good one. Um, but I haven't seen Just My Luck, so I am looking forward to that. And I actually, the one I'm most looking forward to is Life Size. I haven't heard about Life so Size. L- Life Size is, from what I know from the premise, Lindsay Lohan has a doll played by Tyra Banks. Okay. And that's kind of that's the, the premise. premise. I know, yeah. That's what I mean. And I mean. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, the winner of the Duskers was the Lizzie McGuire movie, which is, is no surprise. Um, and they uh follow up then was a cinderella story so that's fair enough um don't know if i'd recommend any of the other ones we watched particularly um i think there's an interesting comparison to be made between a good telling of sharon tate's story and a bad telling of sharon tate's story Uh, which one which one of them's aubrey and which one of them's dakota (laughs) exactly if you're likely to have watched i know who killed me after hearing this then maybe the haunting of sharon tate why not Um, and chase that up with the murder of nicole brown simpson (laughs) for good measure Um, Uh, what i am actually enjoying though is sex education i don't know if you've oh the tv show with um julie anderson yeah and uh asa butterfield yeah Yeah. that's it i started watching when i was sick i didn't have very high expectations of it about a guy who gives sex advice in school 
But actually, it is very, like, it gives you the soft and fuzzies. I cried a good bit up towards it. It makes you feel very nice. Has a great representation. Covers a lot of things from sexual assault to being disowned by your parents to being a mixed race gay man in a school. Like, it has really good topics that cover sort of all spectrums. So I definitely recommend it. Awesome. And Andrew? Uh, recommendations I'd, I'd echo the recommendation of Mean Girls um, yeah. it's terrific um, sorry to wait the low have you decided what you're going to call the Lohan Awards yeah Lohan's much harder to get into a <laughs> Lohanfta I don't know <laughs> <Lohanfta>. <laughs> what are there golden golden the golden Lohans that oh, could that work works Pam, Lohan. Pam yeah. Lohan oh um, I like that there we go Pam Lohan oh, yeah, that works yeah um, so I think we have a clear Pamela Han for uh, front runner here. <laughs> the um, what? What would I recommend uh, aside from Mean Girls? Um, I guess uh, maybe in the kind of horror genre, um, I would recommend The Lighthouse, a movie that I surprisingly saw. In spite of it not being covered on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, the Lighthouse um, is quite good, actually. Yeah. The cinematography is amazing and the mood is fantastic. It's incredible. Is there a blue and red theme, though? It's black and white. Not. Oh! Black and white. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> I've had enough blue and red to last a lifetime. I feel like I can do a desaturated movie now. Uh, it's, it's, very good. it's very good kind of Lovecraft sort of horror, because it's, it's yeah. kind of New England. Uh, I'm surprised that they... Because they, 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 at the end of it, they, they uh, this isn't for spoiler anything, in the, in the credits they say that like it draws on kind of Herman Melville and another writer but it doesn't mention Lovecraft, Lovecraft at all yeah. no uh, it's Melville's diaries of working as a lighthouse keeper yeah okay. that's where a lot of the kind of um, that detail comes from yeah yeah and there's some of the kind of dialogue kind of aspects of it yeah. which is terrific by the way yeah. um, no. great performances from both of them are fantastic yeah, yeah. um cool uh, in terms of recommendations for myself I don't normally do this on the podcast, but it'll be in the show notes. I would really, really, really recommend the New York Times profile of Lindsay Lohan during the production of The Canyons. Okay. Um, it's called This Is What Happens When You Cast Lindsay Lohan in Your Movie. Um, and it basically has a reporter embedded on the set of Paul Schrader's The Canyons, which was supposed to be one of Lohan's comeback projects and basically the ensuing chaos that happened afterwards. Um, the Canyons itself, I'm half tempted to recommend, but not really because of James Dean. Um, I saw it in 2013. Oh, he's, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's the porn I, star. I, I read it, this uh, New York Times thing. Yeah. I saw it in 2013 and I remember singing out Dean for praise because he convincingly played a sociopath with no regard for the other human beings in the scenes with him. And the news since has kind of made that reading seem kind of... Uh, Perhaps maybe a bit generous. Mm. I think the director, the director, um, uh, quite um, Schrader, yeah, Paul Schrader. quite liked him as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, thought, would you recommend the Canyon for our Lohan view? I we... don't think. I think that, like, depending on, I think the Dean stuff may retroactively taint it. Okay. Um, being absolutely honest, well, I if think I'm unaware of the uh, should the I be stuff? aware of? Um, there are allegations about his sexual abuse and stuff like that okay. and consent oh, and okay. uh, particularly in the filming of pornography and his treatment of co-stars and stuff like that and uh, so on and so forth. There's a lot of kind of stuff out there about that. I'll include some stuff in the show notes, mm. but there there were like when it was watched, it was very much his performance is very much a Brett Easton Ellis protagonist, which is somebody right. who's completely devoid mm. of human feeling. Um, and I thought it was a fantastic performance that was revelatory at the time. And it's kind of has that Kevin Spacey thing where you go back afterwards, you're like, is it can i can yeah. i separate it from yeah didn't kevin spacey do a thing on saturday night live when he's like singing he's crooning some sort of a song and it's 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 playing like a crawl where it says the reason kevin spacey is able to play 
um, disturbing character <laughs> so convincingly is because Ian Trude is a disturbing person. Mm. He's a complete sci- and this is like playing under the, the <laughs> screen while he's singing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I kind of, uh, I but I would recommend the article anyway. I'm not okay. sure I'd recommend the film. And in terms of stuff, I'm watching Hunters on on Amazon at the moment, Amazon Prime, which is the uh, kind of Nazi exploitation movie with Al Pacino about uh, Jewish Nazi hunters in 70s New York. Um, I've only seen the premiere and a couple of episodes of it, but I really, really enjoyed it. It won't be for everybody, but it's bright cool if one can't be. If people are looking for more Kean in their lives, we mentioned yes. at the start of this, but just in case people are kind of listening, I've been sold since. Where can we find you online? What yes, are you doing? So, uh, I'm currently doing the selected is for the moment doing a podcast series on the choice prize. So you can nice. f- find if you search uh, search select podcasts wherever you find your podcast, you'll find that. And the choice prize is ten nominees, right? Yeah, so it's album, Irish album of yeah. the year. There's one episode per album. Um, so I don't know if you know Mick Flannery or the Fontaines DC. They're sort of the big names yeah. who are nominated uh, this year. So kind of an episode on each of them, and then. RuPaul's Drag Race is back at the end of this month, so we'll be having weekly episodes with guests sort of reacting to the. That's TV the series. Sissy That podcast. Yeah, that's not, Sissy, not that Sissy This, which yeah, is sorry, the name of the first. <laughs> it, was, it was the first series. So it's called Sissy This. Yeah. yeah, Sissy This and Sissy That, but not Sissy That <laughs> yeah. podcast. So. Sissy That, yeah, it's just the pod rather because it's a play on RuPaul's song "Sissy That Walk." So we needed to keep it one syllable. So Sissy That Pod. So again, Spotify, Apple, wherever you find that. Perfect. Excellent. Um, you can follow us. Um, you're probably are following us, giving you're listening to us. But you can find us on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, on iTunes, wherever there, podcasts are sold. Some of those software sometimes will play something random. Like when you're listening to Spotify and you finish the album you're listening to. And it recommends play something similar. That, that does sometimes happen on some Stitcher. Uh, radio station. Yeah. So if you have stumbled across us, if you had made it all the way through this episode, um, you can follow us on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and iTunes. We're available on Twitter at, at the 250 um, And wherever good podcasts Rate are us. not sold. Uh, Write a review. Yeah, actually, please, <laughs> if you do. If you do like us, if you do enjoy us, uh, please feel free to share us. Uh, write a review. Give a star rating. It means a lot. It helps get the word out. Uh, Andrew and myself are, as ever, like completely amazed that anybody listens to this. So thank you very much. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for having well. me. Um, thank you for indulging. <laughs> oh, no, no this, was, this was very much a treat for us, actually. <laughs> but thank you very much. Uh, we'll hopefully have you back soon. Sure. Um, we have no idea what we're doing next week, so we'll add something in post-production. Take it easy, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Perfect. All right, we may head very, very quickly. Thank you.